We now continue with The Glories of Mary, Chapter 4, Mary Our Help, Part 2. Prayer Behold at thy feet, O Mary, my hope, a poor sinner, who has so many times been by his own fault the slave of hell. I know that by neglecting to have recourse to thee, my refuge, I allowed myself to be overcome by the devil. Had I always had recourse to thee, had I always invoked thee, I certainly should not have fallen. I trust, O Lady, most worthy of all our love, that through thee I have already escaped from the hands of the devil, and that God has pardoned me. But I tremble, lest at some future period I may again fall into the same bonds. I know that my enemies have not lost the hope of again overcoming me, and already they prepare new assaults and temptations for me. Ah, my queen and refuge, do thou assist me. Place me under thy mantle. Permit me not again to become their slave. I know that thou wilt help me, and give me the victory, provided I invoke thee. But I dread, lest in my temptations I may forget thee, and neglect to do so. The favor, then, that I seek of thee, and which thou must grant me, O most holy virgin, is that I may never forget thee, and especially in time of temptation. Grant that I may then repeatedly invoke thee, saying, O Mary, help me, O Mary, help me. And when my last struggle with hell comes, at the moment of death, ah, then, my queen, help me more than ever, and thou thyself remind me to call on thee more frequently, either with my lips or in my heart, that, being thus filled with confidence, I may expire with thy sweet name and that of thy son Jesus on my lips, so that I may be able to bless thee and praise thee, and not depart from thy feet in paradise for all eternity. Amen. Chapter 5 To thee do we sigh, mourning and weeping in this valley of tears. Part 1 Mary, our Mediatress The Necessity of the Intercession of Mary for Our Salvation That it is not only lawful, but also useful to invoke and pray to the saints, and more especially to the Queen of Saints, the Most Holy and Ever-Blessed Virgin Mary, in order that they may obtain us the Divine Grace, is an article of faith and has been defined by general counsels against heretics who condemned it as injurious to Jesus Christ, who is our only mediator. But if a Jeremias, after his death, prayed for Jerusalem, if the ancients of the Apocalypse presented the prayers to, of the saints to God, if a St. Peter promises his disciples that after his death he will be mindful of them, if a holy St. Stephen prays for his persecutors, if a St. Paul prays for his companions, if, in fine, the saints can pray for us, why cannot we beseech the saints to intercede for us? St. Paul recommends himself to the prayers of his disciples. Brethren, pray for us. St. James exhorts us to pray for one another. Pray for one another that you may be saved. Then we can do the same. No one denies that Jesus Christ is our only mediator of justice and that he by his merits has obtained our reconciliation with God. But, on the other hand, it is impious to assert that God is not pleased to grant graces at the intercession of his saints, 
and more especially of Mary his mother, whom Jesus desires so much to see loved and honored by all. Who can pretend that the honor bestowed on a mother does not redound to the honor of the Son? The glory of children are their fathers. Whence St. Bernard says, Let us not imagine that we obscure the glory of the Son by the great praise we lavish on the mother, for the more she is honored, the greater is the glory of her Son. There can be no doubt, says the saint, that whatever we say in praise of the mother is equally in praise of the Son. And St. Ildefonsus also says, That which is given to the mother redounds to the Son. The honor given to the queen is honor bestowed on the king. There can be no doubt that by the merits of Jesus, Mary was made the mediatress of our salvation, not indeed a mediatress of justice, but of grace and intercession. As St. Bonaventure expressly calls her, Mary the most faithful mediatress of our salvation. And St. Lawrence Justinian asks, how can she be otherwise than full of grace, who has been made the ladder to paradise, the gate of heaven, the most true mediatress between God and man? Hence the learned Suarez justly remarks that if we implore our blessed lady to obtain us a favor, it is not because we distrust the divine mercy, but rather that we fear our own weakness and unworthiness and the absence of proper disposition, and we recommend ourselves to Mary, that her dignity may supply for our lowliness. He says that we apply to Mary in order that the dignity of the intercessor may supply for our misery. Hence, to invoke the aid of the Most Blessed Virgin is not diffidence in the Divine Mercy, but dread of our own unworthiness that it is most youthful and holy to have recourse to the intercession of Mary can only be doubted by those who have not faith. But that which we intend to prove here is that the intercession of Mary is even necessary to salvation. We say necessary, not absolutely, but morally. This necessity proceeds from the will itself of God, that all graces that he dispenses should pass through the hands of Mary, according to the opinion of St. Bernard, and which we may now with safety call the general opinion of theologians and learned men. The author of The Reign of Mary positively asserts that such is the case. It is maintained by Vega, Mendoza, Petrucelli, Cernigi, Puri, Crasset, and by innumerable other learned authors. Even Father Natalis Alexander, who always uses so much reserve in his propositions, even he says that it is the will of God that we should expect all graces through the intercession of Mary. I will give his own words. God wills that we should obtain all good things that we hope for from him through the powerful intercession of the Virgin Mother, and we shall obtain them whenever, as we are in duty bound, we invoke her. In confirmation of this, he quotes the following celebrated passage of St. Bernard. Such is God's will that we should have all through Mary. Father Contenson is also of the same opinion, for explaining the words addressed by our Lord on the cross to St. John, Behold thy mother, he remarks, 
that it is the same thing as if he had said, As no one can be saved except through the merits of my sufferings and death, so no one will be a partaker of the blood then shed otherwise than through the prayer of my mother. He alone is a son of my sorrows, who has Mary for his mother. My wounds are ever-flowing fountains of grace, but their streams will reach no one but by the channel of Mary. In vain will he invoke me as a father who has not venerated Mary as a mother. And thou, my disciple John, if thou lovest me, love her, for thou wilt be beloved by me in proportion to thy love for her. This proposition, that all that we receive from our Lord comes through Mary, does not exactly please a certain modern writer, who, although in other respects he speaks of true and false devotion with much learning and piety, yet when he treats the devotion towards the Divine Mother, he seems to grudge her that glory which was given her without scruple by St. Germanus, St. Anselm, St. John Damascene, St. Bonaventure, St. Antoninus, St. Bernardine, the venerable abbot of Celis, and so many other learned men, who had no difficulty in affirming that the intercession of Mary is not only useful but necessary. The same author says that the proposition that God grants no grace otherwise than through Mary is hyperbolical and exaggerated, having dropped from the lips of some saints in the heat of fervor, but which, correctly speaking, is only to be understood as meaning that through Mary we receive Jesus Christ, by whose merits we obtain all graces. For he adds, To believe that God can grant us no graces without the intercession of Mary would be contrary to faith and the doctrine of St. Paul, who says that we acknowledge but one God and one mediator of God and men, the man Jesus Christ. But with his leave, and going upon his own admissions, mediation of justice by way of merit is one thing, and mediation by grace by way of prayer is another. And again, it is one thing to say that God cannot, and another that he will not grant graces without the intercession of Mary. We willingly admit that God is the source of every good, and the absolute master of all graces, and that Mary is only a pure creature who receives whatever she obtains as a pure favor from God. But who can ever deny that it is most reasonable and proper to assert that God, in order to exalt this great creature, who more than all others honored and loved him during her life, and whom, moreover, he had chosen to be the mother of his Son, our common Redeemer, wills that all graces that are granted to those whom he has redeemed should pass through and be dispensed by the hands of Mary. We most readily admit that Jesus Christ is the only mediator of justice, according to the distinction just made, and that by his merits he obtains us all graces and salvation. But we say that Mary is the mediatress of grace, and that receiving all she obtains through Jesus Christ, and because she prays and asks for it in the name of Jesus Christ, yet all the same, whatever graces we receive, they come to us through her intercession. There is certainly nothing contrary to faith in this, but the reverse. It is quite in accordance with the sentiments of the Church, which in its public and approved prayers teaches us continually to have recourse to this Divine Mother, and to invoke her as the health of the weak, 
the refuge of sinners, the help of Christians, and as our life and our hope. In the office appointed to be said on the feasts of Mary, this same holy church, applying the words of Ecclesiasticus to this blessed virgin, gives us to understand that in her we find all hope. In me is all hope of life and of virtue. In Mary is every grace. In me is all grace of the way and of the truth. In Mary, finally, we shall find life and eternal salvation. Who finds me finds life and draws salvation from the Lord. And elsewhere, they that work by me shall not sin. They that explain me shall have everlasting life. And surely such expressions as these sufficiently prove that we require the intercession of Mary. Moreover, we are confirmed in this opinion by so many theologians and fathers, of whom it is certainly incorrect to say, as the above-named author does, that in exalting Mary they spoke hyperbolically, and allowed great exaggerations to fall from their lips. To exaggerate and speak hyperbolically is to exceed the limits of truth, and surely we cannot say that the saints who were animated by the Spirit of God, which is truth itself, spoke thus. If I may be allowed to make a short digression, and give my own sentiment, it is that when an opinion tends in any way to the honor of the Most Blessed Virgin, when it has some foundation, and is not repugnant to the faith, nor to the decrees of the Church, nor to the truth, the refusal to hold it, or to oppose it because the reverse may be true, shows little devotion to the Mother of God. Of the number of such as these I do not choose to be, nor do I wish my reader to be so, but rather of the number of those who fully and firmly believe all that can without error be believed of the greatness of Mary, according to the Abbot Rupert, who, amongst the acts of homage most pleasing to this good mother, places that of firmly believing all that redounds to her honor. If there was nothing else to take away our fear of exceeding in the praises of Mary, St. Augustine should suffice, for he declares that whatever we may say in praise of Mary is little in comparison with that which she deserves on account of her dignity of mother of God, and, moreover, the church says, in the mass appointed for her festivals, Thou art happy, O sacred Virgin Mary, and most worthy of all praise. But let us return to the point, and examine what the saints would say on the subject. St. Bernard says that God has filled Mary with all graces, so that men may receive by her means, as by a channel, every good thing that comes to them. He says that she is a full aqueduct, that others may receive of her plentitude. On this the saint makes the following significant remark. Before the birth of the Blessed Virgin, a constant flow of graces was wanting, because this aqueduct did not exist. But now that Mary has been given to the world, heavenly graces constantly flow through her on all. The devil, like Holofernes, who, in order to gain possession of the city of Bethulia, ordered the aqueducts to be destroyed, exerts himself to his utmost to destroy devotion to the Mother of God in souls. For if this channel of grace is closed, he easily gains possession of them. 
And here, continues the same St. Bernard, See, O souls, with what tender devotion our Lord wills that we should honor our Queen, by always having recourse to her protection, and by relying on it. For in Mary he has placed the plentitude of every good, so that henceforward we may know and acknowledge that whatever hope, grace, or other advantage we possess, all comes from the hand of Mary. St. Antoninus says the same thing. All graces that have ever been bestowed on men, all came through Mary. And on this account she is called the moon, according to the following remark of St. Bonaventure. As the moon, which stands between the sun and the earth, transmits to this latter whatever it receives from the former, so does Mary pour out upon us who are in this world the heavenly graces that she receives from the divine Son of Justice. Again, the Holy Church calls her the happy gate of heaven. For as the same St. Bernard remarks, as every mandate of grace that is sent by a king passes through the palace gates, so does every grace that comes from heaven to the world pass through the hands of Mary. St. Bonaventure says that Mary is called the gate of heaven, because no one can enter that blessed kingdom without passing through her. An ancient author, probably St. Sophronius, in a sermon on the Assumption, published with the works of St. Jerome, says that the plentitude of grace, which is in Jesus Christ, came into Mary, though in a different way, meaning that it is our Lord, as in the head, from which the vital spirits, that is divine help to obtain eternal salvation, flow into us, who are the members of his mystical body. And that same plentitude is in Mary, as in the neck, through which these vital spirits pass to the members. The same idea is confirmed by St. Bernardine of Siena, who explains it more clearly, saying that all graces of the spiritual life that descend from Christ their head to the faithful who are his mystical body are transmitted through the instrumentality of Mary. The same St. Bernardine endeavors to assign a reason for this when he says that God was pleased to dwell in the womb of this holy virgin. She acquired, so to speak, a kind of jurisdiction over all graces. For when Jesus Christ issued forth from her most sacred womb, all the streams of divine gifts flowed from her as from a celestial ocean. Elsewhere, repeating the same idea in a more distinct term, he asserts that from the moment that this virgin mother conceived the divine word in her womb, she acquired a special jurisdiction, so to say, over all the gifts of the Holy Ghost, so that no creature has since received any grace from God otherwise than through the hands of Mary. Another author, in a commentary on a passage of Jeremiah's in which the prophet, speaking of the incarnation of the eternal word and of Mary his mother, says that a woman shall compass a man, remarks that as no line can be drawn from the center of a circle without passing by the circumference, so no grace proceeds from Jesus, who is the center of every good thing, without passing by Mary, who compassed him when she received him into her womb. St. Bernadine says that for this reason all gifts, all virtues, and all graces are dispensed by the hands of Mary to whomsoever, when, and as she pleases. Richard of St. Lawrence also asserts that God wills 
that whatever good things he bestows on his creatures should pass through the hands of Mary. And therefore the venerable abbot of Celis exhorts all to have recourse to this treasury of graces, for so he calls her. For the world and the whole human race have to receive every good that can be hoped for through her alone. Address yourselves to the Blessed Virgin, he says, for by her, and in her, and with her, and from her, the world receives, and is to receive, every good. It must now be evident to all, that when these saints and authors tell us in such terms that all graces come to us through Mary, they do not simply mean to say that we receive Jesus Christ, the source of every good, through Mary, as the before-named writer pretends. But they assure us that God, who gave us Jesus Christ, wills that all graces that have been, that are, and that will be dispensed to men to the end of the world through the merits of Christ, should be dispensed by the hands and through the intercession of Mary. And thus Father Suarez concludes that it is the sentiment of the universal Church that the intercession and prayers of Mary are, above those of all others, not only useful, but necessary. Necessary in accordance with what we have already said, not with an absolute necessity, for the mediation of Jesus Christ alone is absolutely necessary, but with a moral necessity, for the Church believes with St. Bernard that God has determined that no grace shall be granted otherwise than by the hands of Mary. God wills, says the saint, that we should have nothing that has not passed through the hands of Mary. And before St. Bernard, St. Ildefonsus asserted the same thing, addressing the Blessed Virgin in the following terms. O Mary, God has decided on committing all good gifts that he has provided for men to thy hands, and therefore he has entrusted all the treasures and riches of grace to thee. And therefore St. Peter Damien remarks that God would not become man without the consent of Mary, in the first place that we might feel ourselves under great obligations to her, and in the second that we might understand that the salvation of all is left to the care of this Blessed Virgin. St. Bonaventure, on the words of the prophet Isaiah, And there shall come forth a rod out of the root of Jesse, and a flower shall rise up out of the, his root, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, makes a beautiful remark, saying, Whomever desires the sevenfold grace of the Holy Spirit, let him seek for the flower of the Holy Ghost in the rod, that is, for Jesus in Mary. For by the rod we find the flower, and by the flower God. And in the twelfth chapter of the same work he adds, If you desire to possess this flower, bend down the rod which bears the flower by prayer, and so you will obtain it. The Seraphical Father, in his sermon for the Epiphany on the words of St. Matthew, they found the child with Mary his mother, reminds us that if we wish to find Jesus, we must go to Mary. We may then conclude that in vain shall we seek for Jesus unless we endeavor to find him with Mary. And so St. Ildefonsus says, I desire to be the servant of the Son, but because no one will ever be so without serving the mother, for this reason I desire the servitude of Mary. Example 
A young nobleman who was on the sea voyage began to read an obscene book in which he took much pleasure. A religious noticed this and said to him, Are you disposed to make a present to our blessed lady? The young man replied that he was. Well, the other answered, I wish that for the love of the most holy virgin you would give up that book and throw it into the sea. Here it is, father, said the young man. No, replied the religious, you must yourself make Mary this present. He did so, and no sooner had he returned to Genoa, his native place, than the mother of God so inflamed his heart with divine love that he re entered a religious order. Prayer O my soul, see what a sure hope of salvation and eternal life our Lord has given thee by having in his mercy inspired thee with confidence in the patronage of his mother. And this, notwithstanding that so many times by thy sins thou hast merited his displeasure in hell. Thank thy God, and thank thy protectress Mary, who has condescended to take thee under her mantle. For of this thou mayest be well convinced, after the many graces that thou hast received by her means. Oh, yes, I do thank thee, my most loving mother, for all thou hast done for me who am deserving of hell. And from how many dangers hast thou not delivered me, O queen? How many inspirations and mercies hast thou not obtained for me from God? What service, what honor have I ever rendered thee that thou shouldst do so much for me? I know that it is thy sole goodness that has impelled thee, Ah, too little would it be, in comparison with all that I owe thee, did I shed my blood and give my life for thee. For thou hast delivered me from eternal death, thou hast enabled me, as I hope, to recover divine grace. To thee, in fine, I owe all I have. My most amiable lady, I, a poor wretch that I am, can make thee no return but that of always loving and praising thee. Ah, disdain not to accept the tender affection of a poor sinner, who is inflamed with love for thy goodness. If my heart is unworthy to love thee, because it is impure and filled with earthly affections, it is thou who must change it. Ah, change it then, bind me to my God, and bind me so that I may never more have it in my power to separate myself from his love. Thou askest of me that I should love thy God, and I ask of thee that thou shouldst obtain this love for me, to love him always. This is all that I desire. Amen. Part 2 The Same Subject Continued St. Bernard says that as a man and a woman cooperated in our ruin, so it was proper that another man and another woman should cooperate in our redemption. And these two were Jesus and his mother Mary. There is no doubt, says the saint, that Jesus Christ alone was more than sufficient to redeem us. But it was more becoming that both sexes should cooperate in the reparation of an evil in causing which both had shared. Hence blessed Albert the Great calls Mary the helper of redemption. And the Blessed Virgin herself revealed to St. Bridget that as Adam and Eve sold the world for an apple, 
so did she with her son redeem it as it were with one heart. This confirmed by St. Anselm, who said that although God could create the world out of nothing, yet when it was lost by sin, he would not repair the evil without the cooperation of Mary. Suarez says that Mary cooperated in our salvation in three ways. First, by having merited by a merit of congruity the incarnation of the word. Secondly, by having continually prayed for us whilst she was living in this world. Thirdly, by having willingly sacrificed the life of her Son to God. For this reason our Lord has justly decreed that as Mary cooperated in the salvation of man with so much love, and at the same time gave such glory to God, so all men through her intercession are to obtain their salvation. Mary is called the cooperator in our justification, for to her God has entrusted all graces intended for us, and therefore St. Bernard affirms that all men, past, present, and to come, should look upon Mary as the means and negotiator of the salvation of all ages. Jesus Christ says that no one can find him unless the Eternal Father first draws him by the means of divine grace. No one comes to me unless my Father draws him. Thus also does Jesus address his mother, says Richard of St. Lawrence. No one comes to me unless my mother first of all draws him by her prayers. Jesus was the fruit of Mary, as St. Elizabeth told her, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. Whoever therefore desires the fruit must go to the tree. Whoever desires Jesus must go to Mary, and whoever finds Mary will most certainly find Jesus. When St. Elizabeth saw the Most Blessed Virgin had come to visit her in her own house, not knowing how to thank her, and filled with humility, she exclaimed, And whence is this to me, that the mother of my Lord should visit me? But how could this be, we may ask? Did not St. Elizabeth already know that not only Mary but also Jesus had entered her house? Why then does she say that she is unworthy to receive the mother, and not rather that she is unworthy to receive the son who had come to visit her? Ah, yes, it was that the saint knew full well that when Mary comes she brings Jesus, and therefore it was sufficient to thank the mother without naming the son. She is like the merchant's ship, she bringeth her bread from afar. Mary was this fortunate ship that brought us to Jesus Christ from heaven, who is the living bread that comes down from heaven to give us eternal life, as he himself says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live for ever. And hence Richard of St. Lawrence says, that in the sea of this world all will be lost who are not received into this ship, that is to say, all who are not protected by Mary. And therefore he adds, As often as we see ourselves in danger of perishing in the midst of the temptations and contending passions of this life, let us have recourse to Mary, and cry out quickly, O Lady, help us, save us, if thou wilt not see us perish. 
Remark, by the by, that this writer does not scruple to address these words to Mary. Save us, we perish. As does a certain author already noticed, and who says that we cannot ask Mary to save us, as this belongs to God alone. But since a culprit condemned to death can beg a royal favorite to save him by interceding with the king that his life may be spared, why cannot we ask the mother of God to save us by obtaining us eternal life? St. John Damascene scrupled not to address her in these words, Pure and Immaculate Virgin, save me and deliver me from eternal damnation. St. Bonaventure called Mary the salvation of those who invoked her. The Holy Church approves of the invocation by also calling her the salvation of the weak. And shall we scruple to ask her to save us when the way of salvation is open to none otherwise than through Mary, as a certain author remarks? And before him St. Germanus had said the same thing, speaking of Mary, No one is saved but through thee. But let us now see what else the saints say of the need in which we are of the intercession of the Divine Mother. The glorious Saint Cajetan used to say that we may seek for graces, but shall never find them without the intercession of Mary. This is confirmed by Saint Antoninus, who thus beautifully expresses himself. Whoever asks and expects to obtain graces without the intercession of Mary endeavors to fly without wings. For, as Pharaoh said to Joseph, The land of Egypt is in thy hands, and addressed all who came to him for food to Joseph. Go to Joseph, so does God send us to Mary when we seek for grace. Go to Mary, for he has decreed, says St. Bernard, that he will grant no graces otherwise than by the hands of Mary. And thus, says Richard of St. Lawrence, our salvation is in the hands of Mary, so that we Christians may with much greater reason say of her than the Egyptians of Joseph, Our salvation is in thy hands. The venerable Raymond Giordano repeats the same thing. Our salvation is in her hands. Cassian speaks in still stronger terms. He says absolutely that salvation of all depends on their being favored and protected by Mary. He who is protected by Mary will be saved. He who is not will be lost. St. Bernardine of Siena thus addresses this blessed virgin. O lady, since thou art the dispenser of all graces, and since the grace of salvation can only come through thy hands, our salvation depends on thee. Therefore Richard of St. Lawrence had good reason for saying that as we should fall into the abyss if the ground were withdrawn from under our feet, so does a soul deprived of the succor of Mary first fall into sin, and then into hell. St. Bonaventure says that God will not save us without the intercession of Mary, and that as a child cannot live without a nurse to suckle it, so no one can be saved without the protection of Mary. Therefore he exhorts us to thirst after devotion to her, to persevere in it with care, and never to abandon it until we have received her maternal blessing in heaven. 
And whoever, exclaimed St. Germanus, could know God, were it not for thee, O most holy Mary, who could be saved? Who would be preserved from dangers? Who would receive any grace, were it not for thee, O Mother of God, O full of grace? The following are the beautiful words in which he expresses himself. There is no one, O most holy Mary, who can know God but through thee, no one who can be saved or redeemed but through thee, O Mother of God, no one who can be delivered from dangers but through thee, O Virgin Mother, no one who obtains mercy but through thee, O filled with all grace. And in another place addressing her he says, no one would be free from the effects of the concupiscence of the flesh and from sin unless thou didst open the way to him. And as we have access to the Eternal Father, says St. Bernard, only through Jesus Christ, so have we access to Jesus Christ only through Mary. By thee we have access to the Son, O blessed finder of grace, bearer of life, and mother of salvation that we may receive him by thee, who through thee was given to us. This is the reason given by the saint why our Lord has determined that all shall be saved by the intercession of Mary, and therefore he calls her the mother of grace and of our salvation. Then, asks St. Germanus, what will become of us? What hope can we have of salvation if thou dost abandon us, O Mary, who art the life of Christians? But, says the modern author already quoted, if all graces come through Mary, when we implore the intercession of other saints, they must have recourse to the mediation of Mary. But that, he says, no one believes or ever dreamed. As to believing it, I reply that in that there can be no error or difficulty. What difficulty can there be in saying that God, in order to honor his mother, and having made her queen of saints, and willing that all graces shall be dispensed by her hands, should also will that the saints should address themselves to her to obtain favors for their clients. And as to saying that no one ever dreamed of such a thing, I find that St. Bernard, St. Anselm, St. Bonaventure, Suarez, and others expressly declare it to be the case. In vain, says St. Bernard, would a person ask other saints for a favor, if Mary did not interpose to obtain it. Some other author, explaining the words of the psalm, All the rich among the people shall entreat thy countenance, says that the saints are the rich of that great people of God, who, when they wish to obtain a favor from God for their clients, recommend themselves to Mary, and she immediately obtains it. And Father Suarez correctly remarks that we beg the saints to be our intercessors with Mary, because she is their queen and sovereign lady. Amongst the saints, he says, we do not make use of one to intercede with the other, as all are of the same order, but we do ask them to intercede with Mary, because she is their sovereign and queen. And this is precisely what St. Benedict promised to St. Francis of Rome, as we read in Father Marchis, for he appeared to her, and, taking her under his protection, he promised that he would be her advocate with the Divine Mother. In confirmation of this, St. Anselm addresses our Blessed Lady and says, O Lady, whatever all the saints united with thee can obtain, thou canst obtain alone.
And why is this? asks the saint. Why is it that thou alone hast such great power? Ah, it is because thou alone art the mother of our common Redeemer. Thou art the spouse of God. Thou art the universal queen of heaven and earth. If thou dost not speak for us, no saint will pray for or help us. But if thou beginnest to pray for us, then will all the saints do the same and succor us. So that Father Signiri, in his devout client of Mary, applying with the Catholic Church the words of Ecclesiasticus to her, I alone have compassioned the circuit of heaven, says that as the first sphere by its motion sets all the others in motion, so it is when Mary prays for a soul. Immediately the whole heavenly court begins to pray with her. Nay more, says St. Bonaventure, whenever the most sacred virgin goes to God to intercede for us, she as queen commands all the angels and saints to accompany her and unite their prayers to hers. And thus, finally, do we understand why the Holy Church requires that we should salute and invoke the Divine Mother under the glorious title of Our Hope. The impious Luther said that he could not endure that the Roman Church should call Mary, who is only a creature, Our Hope. For, said he, God alone and Jesus Christ as our Mediator is Our Hope, and God cures those who place their hope in a creature according to the prophet Jeremiah's Cursed be the man that trusteth in man. But the church teaches us to invoke Mary on all occasions, and to call her our hope, hail our hope. Whoever places his confidence in a creature independently of God, he is certainly cursed by God, for God is the only source and dispenser of every good, and the creature without God is nothing, and can give nothing. But if our Lord has so disposed it, as we have already proved that he has done, that all graces should pass through Mary as by a channel of mercy, we not only can, but ought to assert that she, by whose means we receive the divine graces, is truly our hope. Therefore St. Bernard says that she is his greatest confidence and the whole foundation of his hope. St. John Damascene says the same thing, for he thus addresses the Most Blessed Virgin. O Lady, in Thee have I placed all my hope, and with my eyes fixed on Thee, from Thee do I expect salvation. St. Thomas says that Mary is the whole hope of our salvation. And St. Ephraim, addressing her, says, O Most Holy Virgin, receive us under Thy protection, if Thou wilt see us saved, for we have no hope of salvation but through Thy means. Let us then, in the words of St. Bernard, endeavor to venerate this Divine Mother with the whole affection of our hearts, for such is the will of God, who is pleased that we should receive every good thing from her hand. And therefore the saint exhorts us, whenever we desire or ask for any grace, to recommend ourselves to Mary, and to be assured that we shall receive it by her means. For he says, If thou dost not deserve the favor from God, Mary, who will ask it for thee, will deserve to receive it. Because thou wast unworthy of the gift, it was bestowed on Mary, that through her thou mightest receive all that thou hast. The saint then advises us to recommend all that we offer to God, to the care of Mary, be they good works or prayers, if we wish our Lord to accept them. Whatever thou mayest offer to God, 
be sure to recommend it to Mary in order not to meet with a repulse. We will continue Chapter 5 on the next side of the tape. We now conclude Chapter 5, Mary, Our Mediatress, Part 2, with an editor's note. The doctrine of Mary's dignity as Mediatress of all graces is commonly accepted by theologians today, and recent pontiffs have occasionally alluded to it. We know that Benedict XIV has left these words on record. Mary is like a celestial river by which the waters of all graces and gifts are conveyed to poor mortals. Pius IX, in speaking to the bishops of the whole world, made use of the words of St. Bernard, God wills that every grace should come to us through her. In his encyclical on the devotion of the Rosary, September 22, 1891, Pope Leo XIII says, In a true and natural sense, May we say that from the great treasury of graces that the Lord has merited for us, nothing came to us by the will of God except through Mary. Pius X declares, She is the dispensatrix of all the graces that Jesus Christ has merited for us by his blood and his death. The following are the words of Benedict XV. It has pleased God to grant us all graces through the intercession of Mary. Again, all the graces which the giver of all good deigns to grant to the descendants of Adam are dispensed to us in the disposition of a loving providence through the hands of the Blessed Virgin. And finally, the graces of all kinds that we receive from the treasury of the redemption are dispensed by the hands of the sorrowful Virgin. It is worthy of note that the last four popes have directed special attention to this teaching on the Blessed Virgin Mary. They refer to it repeatedly, and thus place the seal of approval on the authority of those former times who held the doctrine, and particularly of St. Alphonsus. On the strength of these testimonies, one can unhesitatingly subscribe to the judgment of the apologist Benvel S.J., the twofold cooperation of Mary in the work of the redemption, first on earth by her life, prayer, and suffering, and then in heaven by her prayer alone, is sound Catholic doctrine, beyond all dispute, and worthy of being defined, i.e., of being raised to the dignity of an article of faith. Father Jansen, C.S.S.R., says that what the supreme teacher of the Church proclaims so loudly deserves to be made known not merely to the students of theology in classrooms, but in pulpit and press to the faithful of the whole world. Example The History of Theophilus, written by Eutychian, Patriarch of Constantinople, and who was an eyewitness of the fact he relates, is well known. It is attested by St. Peter Damian, St. Bernard, St. Bonaventure, St. Antonine, and by others quoted by Father Cresset. Theophilus was archdeacon of the church of Adana, a city of Cilicia, and he was held in such veneration by the people that they wished to have him for their bishop, but he, out of humility, refused the dignity. It happened that evil-disposed persons accused him falsely of some crime, and for this he was disposed from his archdeaconry. 
He took this so much to heart that, blinded by passion, he went to a Jewish magician who made him consult Satan that he might help him in his misfortune. The devil told him that if he desired to be helped by him, he must renounce Jesus and his mother Mary, and consign him to the act of renunciation written in his own hand. Theophilus immediately complied with the demand. The next day the bishop, having discovered that he had been deceived, asked the archdeacon's pardon and restored him to office. No sooner was this accomplished than his conscience was torn with remorse, and he could do nothing but weep. What could he do? He went to a church, and there, casting himself all in tears at the feet of an image of Mary, he thus addressed her, O Mother of God, I will not despair as long as I can have access to thee, who art so compassionate, and hast the power to help me. He remained thus, weeping and praying to our Blessed Lady for forty days, when, lo, one night the Mother of Mercy appeared to him, and said, O Theophilus, what hast thou done? Thou hast renounced my friendship and that of my son, and for whom? For his and my enemy. O Lady, answered Theophilus, thou must pardon me and obtain my forgiveness from thy son. Mary, seeing his confidence, replied, Be of good heart, I will intercede for thee with God. Theophilus, encouraged by these consoling words, redoubled his tears, mortifications, and prayers, and never left the image. At last Mary again appeared to him, and with a cheerful countenance said, Theophilus, be of good heart, I have presented thy tears and prayers to God. He has accepted them, and has already pardoned thee. But from this day forward be grateful to him, and faithful. But, O lady, replied Theophilus, that is not yet enough to satisfy me entirely. The enemy still possesses that impious writing in which I renounce thee and thy son. Thou canst oblige him to surrender it. Three days afterwards, Theophilus awoke in the night and found the writing on his breast. On the following day he went to the church where the bishop was, and, in presence of an immense concourse of people, cast himself at his feet, and with bitter tears related all that had taken place, and delivered into his hands the infamous writing. The bishop committed it to the flames in the presence of all the people who did nothing but weep for joy and praise the goodness of God, and the mercy of Mary shown towards this poor sinner. But he, returning to the church of our Blessed Lady, remained there for three days, and then expired, his heart filled with joy, and returning thanks to Jesus and to his Most Holy Mother. The editor added a footnote that says, The church has enrolled this celebrated penitent among the number of the saints. Prayer O Queen and Mother of Mercy, who dispensest graces to all who have recourse to thee with so much liberality, because thou art a queen, and with so much love, because thou art our most loving mother. To thee do I, who am so devoid of merit and virtue, and so loaded with debts to the divine justice, recommend myself this day. O Mary, thou holdest the keys of all the divine mercies. Forget not my miseries, and leave me not in my poverty. Thou art so liberal with all, and givest more than thou art asked for. O oh, be thus liberal with me! 
O lady, protect me. This is all that I ask of thee. If thou protectest me, I fear nothing. I fear not the evil spirits, for thou art more powerful than all of them. I fear not my sins, for thou by one word canst obtain their full pardon from God. And if I have thy favor, I do not even fear an angry God, for a single prayer of thine will appease him. In fine, if thou protectest me, I hope all, for thou art all-powerful. O Mother of mercy, I know that thou takest pleasure and dost glory in helping the most miserable, and, provided they are not obstinate, that thou canst help them. I am a sinner, but I am not obstinate. I desire to change my life. Thou canst then help me. O oh, help me and save me. I now place myself entirely in thy hands. Tell me what I must do in order to please God, and I am ready for all, and hope to do all with thy help, O Mary. Mary, my mother, my light, my consolation, my refuge, my hope. Amen, amen, amen. Chapter 6 O Gracious Advocate Mary is an advocate who is able to save all. So great is the authority that mothers possess over their sons that even if they are monarchs and have absolute dominion over every person in their kingdom, yet never can mothers become the subjects of their sons. It is true that Jesus now in heaven sits at the right hand of the Father, that is, as St. Thomas explains it, even as man, on account of the hypostatical union with the person of the divine word. He has supreme dominion over all, and also over Mary. It will nevertheless be always true that for a time, when he was living in this world, he was pleased to humble himself to be subject to Mary, as we are told by St. Luke, and he was subject to them. And still more, says St. Ambrose, Jesus Christ, having deigned to make Mary his mother, inasmuch as he was her son, he was truly obliged to obey her. And for this reason, says Richard of St. Lawrence, of other saints we say that they are with God, but of Mary alone can it be said that she was so far favored as to be not only herself submissive to the will of God, but even that God was subject to her will. And whereas, of all other virgins, remarks the same author, we must say that they follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. Of the Blessed Virgin Mary, we can say that the Lamb followed her, having become subject to her. And here we say that although Mary, now in heaven, can no longer command her son, nevertheless her prayers are always the prayers of a mother, and consequently most powerful to obtain whatever she asks. Mary, says St. Bonaventure, has, has this great privilege, that with her son she is above all the saints, is most powerful to obtain whatever she wills. And why? precisely for the reason on which we have already touched, and which we shall again later on examine at greater length, because they are the prayers of a mother. Therefore, says St. Peter Damien, the Blessed Virgin can do whatever she pleases both in heaven and on earth. She is able to raise even those who are in despair to confidence, and he addresses her in these words, All power is given to thee in heaven and on earth, 
and nothing is impossible to thee who canst rise those who are in despair to the hope of salvation. And then he adds that when the mother goes to seek a favor for us from Jesus Christ, whom the saint calls the golden altar of mercy at which sinners obtain pardon, her son esteems her prayers so greatly and is so desirous to satisfy her that when she prays it seems as if she rather commanded than prayed and was rather a queen than a handmaid. Jesus is pleased thus to honor his beloved mother who honored him so much during her life by immediately granting all that she asks or desires. This is beautifully confirmed by St. Germanus, who, addressing our Blessed Lady, says, Thou art the mother of God, and all-powerful to save sinners. And with God thou needest no other recommendation, for thou art the mother of true life. At the command of Mary all obey, even God. St. Bernardine fears not to utter this sentence, meaning, indeed, to say that God grants the prayers of Mary as if they were commands. And hence, St. Anselm, addressing Mary, says, Our Lord, O Most Holy Virgin, has exalted thee to such a degree that by his favor all things that are possible to him should be possible to thee. For thy protection is omnipotent, O Mary, says Cosmas of Jerusalem. Yes, Mary is omnipotent, repeats Richard of St. Lawrence, for the queen, by every law, enjoys the same privileges as the king, and as, he adds, the power of the son and that of the mother is the same, a mother is made omnipotent by an omnipotent son. And thus, says St. Antoninus, God has placed the whole church not only under the patronage, but even under the dominion of Mary. Since the mother, then, should have the same power as the Son, rightly has Jesus, who is omnipotent, made Mary also omnipotent, though, of course, it is always true that where the Son is omnipotent by nature, the mother is only so by grace. But that she is so is evident from the fact that whatever the mother asks for, the Son never denies her. And this was revealed to St. Bridget, who one day heard Jesus talking with Mary, and thus addresses her, Ask of me what thou wilt, for no petition of thine can be void. As if he had said, My mother, thou knowest how much I love thee. Therefore ask all that thou wilt of me, for it is not possible that I should refuse thee anything. And the reason that he gave for this was beautiful. Because thou didst never deny me anything on earth, I will deny thee nothing in heaven. My mother, when thou wast in the world, thou didst never refuse to do anything for love of me. And now that I am in heaven, it is right that I should deny thee nothing that thou askest. Mary, then, is called omnipotent in the sense in which it can be understood of a creature who is incapable of a divine attribute. She is omnipotent because by her prayers she obtains whatever she wills. With good reason, then, O great advocate, does St. Bernard say, Thou willest, and all things are done. And St. Anselm, Whatever thou, O virgin, willest can never be otherwise than accomplished. Thou willest, and all is done. If thou art pleased to raise a sinner from the lowest abyss of misery to the highest degree of sanctity, thou canst do it. Blessed Albert the Great, on this subject, makes Mary say, I have to be asked that I may will, for if I will a thing, 
it is necessarily done. Thus Peter Damien, reflecting on the great power of Mary, and begging her to take compassion on us, addresses her, saying, O oh, let thy nature move thee, let thy power move thee, for the more thou art powerful, the greater should thy mercy be. O Mary, our own beloved Advocate, since thou hast so compassionate a heart that thou canst not even see the wretched without being moved to pity, and since, at the same time, thou hast so great power with God that thou canst save all whom thou dost protect, disdain not to undertake the cause of us poor miserable creatures who place all our hope in thee. If our prayers cannot move thee, at least let thine own benign heart do so, or at least let thy power do so, since God has enriched thee with so great power, in order that the richer thou art in power to help us, the more merciful thou mayest be in the will to assist us. But St. Bernard reassures us on this point, for he says that Mary is as immensely rich in mercy as she is in power and that as her charity is most powerful, so also it is most clement and compassionate, and it is its effects continually prove it to be so. He thus expresses himself, The most powerful and merciful charity of the Mother of God abounds in tender compassion and effectual succor. It is equally rich in both. From the time that Mary came into the world, her only thought, after seeking the glory of God, was to succor the miserable. And even then she enjoyed the privilege of obtaining whatever she asked. This we know from what occurred at the marriage feast at Cana in Galilee. When the wine failed, the most blessed virgin, being moved to compassion at the sight of the affliction and shame of the bride and bridegroom, asked her son to relieve them by a miracle, telling them that they had no wine. Jesus answered, Woman, what is it to thee and me? My hour is not yet come. Add here, remark that although our Lord seemed to refuse his mother the favor, she asked and said, What is it to thee, O woman, and to me, if the wine has failed? This is not the time for me to work a miracle. The time will be when I will begin to preach, and when miracles will be required to confirm my doctrines. And yet Mary, as if the favor had already been granted, desired those in attendance to fill the jars with water, for they would be immediately satisfied. And so it was, for Jesus, to content his mother, changed the water into the best wine. And how was this? As the time for working miracles was that of the public life of our Lord, how could it be that, contrary to the divine decrees, this miracle was worked? No, no, in this there was nothing contrary to the decrees of God, for though, generally speaking, the time for miracles was not come, yet from all eternity God had determined by another decree that nothing that she asked would ever be refused to the Divine Mother. And therefore Mary, who well knew her privilege, although the Son seemed to have refused her the favor, yet told them to fill the jars with water, as if her request had already been granted. That is the sense in which St. John Chrysostom understood it, for explaining these words of our Lord, Woman, what is it to thee and me? He says that, though Jesus answered thus, yet in honor of his mother he obeyed her wish. This is confirmed by St. Thomas, who says that by the words, My hour is not yet come, 
Jesus Christ intended to show that had the request come from any other, he would not have then complied with it, but because it was addressed to him by his mother, he could not refuse it. St. Cyril and St. Jerome, quoted by Barada, says the same thing. Also, Gondavensis, on the foregoing passage of St. John, says that to honor his mother, our Lord anticipated the time for working miracles. In fine, it is certain that no creature can obtain so many mercies for us as this tender advocate, who is thus honored by God, not only as his beloved handmaid, but also as his true mother. And this, William of Paris says, addressing her, No creature can obtain so many and so great favors as thou obtainest for poor sinners. And thus, without doubt, God honors thee, not only as a handmaid, but as his most true mother. Mary has only to speak, and her son executes all. Our Lord, conversing with the spouse in the sacred canticles, that is, Mary, says, Thou that dwellest in the gardens, the friends hearken. Make me hear thy voice. The saints are the friends, and they, when they seek a favor for their clients, wait for their queen to ask and obtain it. For, as we said in the fifth chapter, no grace is granted otherwise than at the prayer of Mary. And how does Mary obtain favors? She has only to let her voice be heard. Make me hear thy voice. She has only to speak, and her son immediately grants her prayer. Listen to the abbot William explaining in this sense the above-mentioned text. In it he introduces the son addressing Mary. Thou who dwellest in the heavenly gardens, intercede with confidence for whomsoever thou wilt, for it is not possible that I should so far forget that I am thy son as to deny anything to thee, my mother. Only let thy voice be heard, for to be heard by a son is to be obeyed. The abbot Godfrey says that although Mary obtains favors by asking, yet she asks with a certain maternal authority, and therefore we ought to feel confident that she obtains all she desires and asks for us. Valerius Maximus relates that when Coriolanus was besieging Rome, the prayers of his friends and all the citizens were insufficient to make him desist. But as soon as he beheld his mother, Veturia, imploring him, he could no longer refuse and immediately raised the siege. But the prayers of Mary with Jesus are as much more powerful than those of Veturia as the love and gratitude of this son for his most dear mother are greater. Father Justin Mikovinsis says that a single sigh of the most blessed Mary can do more than the united suffrages of all the saints. And this was acknowledged by the devil himself to St. Dominic, who, as it is related by Father Pacucelli, obliged him to speak by the mouth of a possessed person, and he said that a single sigh from Mary was worth more before God than the united suffrages of all the saints. St. Antoninus says that the prayers of the Blessed Virgin, being the prayers of a mother, have in them something of a command, so that it is impossible that she should not obtain what she asks. St. Germanus, encouraging sinners who recommend themselves to this advocate, thus addresses her. As thou hast, O Mary, the authority of a mother with God, thou obtainest pardon for the most enormous sinners. 
since that lord in all things acknowledges thee as his true and spotless mother he cannot do otherwise than grant what thou askest and so it was that saint bridget heard the saints in heaven addressing our blessed lady o most blessed queen what is there that thou canst not do thou hast only to will and it is accomplished and this corresponds with that celebrated saying that which god can do by his power that canst thou do by prayer o sacred virgin and perchance says saint augustine it is unworthy of the benignity of that lord to be thus jealous of the honor of his mother who declares that he came into the world not to break but to observe the law but this law commands us to honor our parents st george archbishop of nicomedia says that jesus christ even as it were to satisfy an obligation under which he placed himself towards his mother when she consented to give him his human nature grants all she asks the son as if paying a debt grants all thy petitions and on this the holy martyr saint methodius exclaims rejoice rejoice o mary for thou hast that son thy debtor who gives to all and receives from none we are all god's debtors for all that we possess for all is his gift but god has been pleased to become thy debtor in taking flesh from thee and becoming man therefore saint augustine says that mary having merited to give flesh to the divine word and thus supply the price of our redemption that we might be delivered from eternal death therefore is she more powerful than all others to help us to gain eternal life st theophilus bishop of alexandria in the time of st jerome left in writing the following words the prayers of his mother are a pleasure to the son because he desires to grant all that is granted on her account and thus recompense her for the favor she did him in giving him his body st john damascene addressing the blessed virgin says thou o mary being mother of the most high god canst save all by thy prayers which are increased in value by the maternal authority let us conclude with st bonaventure who considering the great benefit conferred on us by our lord in giving us mary for our advocate thus addresses her o truly immense and admirable goodness of our god which has been pleased to grant thee o sovereign mother to us miserable sinners for our advocate in order that thou by thy powerful intercession mayest obtain all that thou pleasest for us o wonderful mercy of our god continues the same saint who in order that we might not fly on account of the sentence that might be pronounced against us has given us his own mother and the patroness of graces to be our advocate example in germany a man fell into a grievous sin through shame he was unwilling to confess it but on the other hand unable to endure the remorse of his conscience he went to throw himself into a river on the point of doing so he hesitated and weeping he begged that god would forgive him his sin without his confessing it one night in his sleep he felt someone shake his arm and heard a voice which said go to confession he went to the church but yet did not confess on another night he again heard the same voice he returned to the church but when he arrived there 
he declared that he would rather die than confess that sin. But before returning home, he went to recommend himself to the Most Blessed Virgin, whose image was in that church. He had no sooner knelt down than he found himself quite changed. He immediately arose, called a confessor, and, weeping bitterly through the grace which he had received from Mary, made an entire confession of his sins, and he afterwards declared that he experienced greater satisfaction than if he had obtained all the treasures in the world. Prayer I will address thee, O great Mother of God, in the words of St. Bernard. Speak, O Lady, for thy Son heareth thee, and whatever thou askest thou wilt obtain. Speak, speak, then, O Mary, our Advocate, in favor of us poor miserable creatures. Remember that it was also for our good that thou didst receive so great power in so high a dignity. A God was pleased to become thy debtor by taking the humanity of thee, in order that thou mightest dispense at will the riches of divine mercy to sinners. We are thy servants, devoted in a special manner to thee, and I am one of these, I trust, even in a higher degree. We glory in living under thy protection. Since thou dost good to all, even to those who neither know nor honor thee, nay more to those who outrage and blaspheme thee, how much more may we not hope for thy benignity, which seeks out the wretched in order to relieve them, we who honor, love, and confide in thee. We are great sinners, but God has enriched thee with compassion and power far exceeding our iniquities. Thou canst and hast the will to save us. And the greater is our unworthiness, the greater shall be our hope in order to glorify thee the more in heaven, when by thy intercession we get there. O Mother of Mercy, we present thee our souls, once cleansed and rendered beautiful in the blood of Jesus Christ, but, alas, since that time defiled by sin. To thee do we present them. Do thou purify them. Obtain for us true conversion. Obtain for us the love of God, perseverance, heaven. We ask thee for much, but what is it? Perhaps thou canst not obtain all? It is perhaps too much for the love God bears thee? Ah, no, for thou hast only to open thy lips and ask thy divine Son. He will deny thee nothing. Pray, then, pray, O Mary, for us. Pray, thou wilt certainly obtain all, and we shall with the same certainty obtain the kingdom of heaven. Part 2 Mary is so tender an advocate that she does not refuse to defend the cause even of the most miserable. So many are the reasons that we have for loving this most loving queen, that if Mary was praised throughout the world, if in every sermon Mary alone was spoken of, if all men gave their lives for Mary, still all would be little in comparison with the homage and gratitude that we owe her in return for the tender love she bears to men, and even to the most miserable sinners who preserve the slightest spark of devotion to her. Blessed Raymond Giordano, who, out of humility, called himself the idiot, 
used to say that Mary knows not how to do otherwise than love those who love her, and that even she does not disdain to serve those who serve her, and in favor of such a one, should he be a sinner, she uses all her power in order to obtain his forgiveness from her blessed Son. And he adds that her benignity and mercy are so great that no one, however enormous his sins may be, should fear to cast himself at her feet, for she never can reject anyone who has recourse to her. Mary, as our most loving advocate herself, offers the prayers of her servants to God, and especially those who are placed in her hands. For as the Son intercedes for us with the Father, so does she intercede with the Son, and does not cease to make interest with both for the great affair of our salvation, and to obtain for us the graces we ask. With good reason, then, does Dennis the Carthusian call the Blessed Virgin the singular refuge of the lost, the hope of the most abandoned, and the advocate of all sinners who have recourse to her. But should there by chance be a sinner who, through not doubting her power, might doubt the compassion of Mary, fearing perhaps that she might be unwilling to help him on account of the greatness of his sins, let him take courage from the words of St. Bonaventure. The great, the special privilege of Mary is that she is all-powerful with her son. But, adds the saint, to what purpose would Mary have so great power if she cared not for us? No, he concludes, let us not doubt, but be certain, and let us always thank our Lord and his divine mother for it, that in proportion as her power with God exceeds that of all the saints, so is she in the same proportion our most loving advocate, and the one who is most solicitous for our welfare. And who, O Mother of Mercy, exclaims St. Germanus in the joy of his heart, who, after thy Jesus, is as tenderly solicitous for our welfare as thou art, who defends us in the temptations with which we are afflicted as thou defendest us, who, like thee, undertakes to protect sinners, fighting, as it were, in their behalf? Therefore, he adds, thy patronage, O Mary, is far more powerful and loving than anything of which we can ever form an idea. For, says blessed Raymond Giordano, whilst all the other saints can do more for their own clients than for others, the Divine Mother, as Queen of all, is the Advocate of all, and has a care for the salvation of all. Mary takes care of all, even of sinners. Indeed, she glories in being called, in a special manner, their advocate, as she herself declared to the venerable sister Mary Villani, saying, After the title of Mother of God, I rejoice most in that of Advocate of Sinners. Blessed Amadeus says, that our Queen is constantly before the Divine Majesty, interceding for us with her most powerful prayers. And, as in heaven, she well knows our miseries and wants, she cannot do otherwise than compassionate us, and thus, with the affection of a mother moved to tenderness towards us, pitying and benign, she is always endeavoring to help and save us. And therefore does Richard of St. Lawrence encourage each one, however bad he may be, to have recourse with confidence to this sweet advocate, 
being assured that he will always find her ready to help him. For, says the abbot Godfrey, Mary is always ready to pray for all. Oh, with what efficacy and love, says St. Bernard, does this good advocate interest herself in the affair of our salvation. St. Bonaventure, considering the affection and zeal with which Mary intercedes for us with the Divine Majesty, in order that our Lord may pardon us our sins, help us with His grace, free us from dangers, and relieve us in our wants, says, addressing the Blessed Virgin in the words of an ancient writer, We know that we have, as it were, but one solicitous in heaven for us, and thou art this one, so greatly does thy solicitude for us exceed that of all the saints. That is, O lady, it is true that all the saints desire our salvation and pray for us, but the love, the tenderness that thou showest us in heaven, in obtaining for us by thy prayers so many mercies from God, obliges us to acknowledge that in heaven we have but one advocate, and that is thyself, and that thou alone art truly loving and solicitous for our welfare. Who can ever comprehend the solicitude with which Mary constantly stands before God in our behalf? She is never weary of defending us, says St. Germanus, and the remark is beautiful, meaning that so great is the compassion excited in Mary by our misery, and such is the love that she bears us, that she prays constantly and relaxes not her efforts in our behalf, that by her prayers she may effectually defend us from evil and obtain for us sufficient graces. She has never done enough. Truly unfortunate should we poor sinners be, had we not this great advocate, who is so powerful and compassionate, and at the same time so prudent and wise, that the judge, her son, says Richard of St. Lawrence, cannot condemn the guilty who are defended by her. And therefore St. John Geometra salutes her, saying, Hail, O court, for putting an end to litigation. For all causes defended by this most wise advocate are gained. For this reason Mary is called, by St. Bonaventure, the wise Abigail. This is the woman we read of in the second book of Kings, who, by her beautiful supplications, knew so well how to appease King David when he was indignant against Nabal indeed so far as to induce him to bless her, and in gratitude for having prevented him by her sweet manners from avenging himself on Nabal with his own hands. This is exactly what Mary constantly does in heaven, in favor of innumerable sinners. By her tender and unctuous prayers she knows so well how to appease the divine justice that God himself blesses her for it, and, as it were, thanks her for having withheld him from abandoning and chastising them as they deserved. On this account it was, says St. Bernard, that the Eternal Father, wishing to show all the mercy possible besides giving us Jesus Christ, our, our principal advocate with him, was pleased also to give us Mary as our advocate with Jesus Christ. There is no doubt, the saint adds, that Jesus Christ is the only mediator of justice between men and God, that by virtue of his own merits and promises he will and can obtain us pardon and the divine favors, 
but because men acknowledge and fear the divine majesty which is in him as God, for this reason it was necessary to assign us another advocate, to whom we might have recourse with less fear and more confidence, and this advocate is Mary, than whom we cannot find one more powerful with his divine majesty, or one more merciful towards ourselves. The saint says, Christ is a faithful and powerful mediator between God and men, but in him men fear the majesty of God. A mediator, then, was needed with the mediator himself, nor could a more fitting one be found than Mary. But, continues the same saint, should any one fear to go to the feet of this most sweet advocate, who has nothing in her of severity, nothing terrible, but who is all courteous, amiable, and benign, he would indeed be offering an insult to the tender compassion of Mary. And he adds, Read, and read again, as often as you please, all that is said of her in the Gospels, and if you can find the least trait of severity recorded of her, then fear to approach her. But no, this you can never find, and therefore go to her with a joyful heart, and she will save you by her intercession. How beautiful is the exclamation put in the mouth of a sinner who has recourse to Mary, by William of Paris. O most glorious mother of God, I, in the miserable state to which I am reduced by my sins, have recourse to thee, full of confidence, and if thou rejectest me, I remind thee that thou art in a way bound to help me, since the whole church of the faithful calls thee and proclaims thee the mother of mercy. Thou, O Mary, art that one who, from being so dear to God, art always listened to favorably. Thy great compassion was never wanting to any one. Thy most sweet affability never despised any sinner that recommended himself to thee, however great his sins. And what? Perhaps falsely and for nothing the whole church calls thee its advocate and the refuge of sinners? Never, O oh my mother, let my sins prevent thee from fulfilling the great office of charity which is thine, and by which thou art at the same time our advocate and a mediatress of peace between men and God, and who art after thy son our only hope and the secure refuge of the miserable. All that thou possessest of grace and glory, and the dignity even of mother of God, so to speak, thou owest to sinners." for it was on their account that the divine word made thee his mother. Far be it from this divine mother, who brought the source itself of tender compassion into the world, to think that she should ever deny her mercy to any sinner who has recourse to her. Since then, O Mary, thy office is to be the peacemaker between God and men, let thy tender compassion, which far exceeds all my sins, move thee to succor me. Be comforted then, O you who fear, will I say with St. Thomas of Villanova. Breathe freely and take courage, O wretched sinners. This great virgin, who is the mother of your God and judge, is also the advocate of the whole human race, fit for this office, for she can do what she wills with God. Most wise, for she knows all the means of appeasing him. Universal, for she welcomes all and refuses to defend no one.
We will conclude Part 2 of Chapter 6, Marry Our Advocate, on the next tape. We now continue with Chapter 6, Marry Our Advocate, Part 2. Example. In one of our missions, after the Sermon on the Blessed Virgin Mary, which it is always customary in our congregation to preach, a very old man came to make his confession to one of the fathers. Filled with consolation, he said, Father, our Blessed Lady has granted me a grace. What grace has she granted you? the confessor asked. You must know, Father, he replied, that for five and thirty years I have made sacrilegious confessions, for there is a sin which I was ashamed to confess, and yet I have passed through many dangers, have many times been at the point of death, and had I then died, I should certainly have been lost. But now our Blessed Lady has touched my heart with the grace to tell it. This he said, weeping and shedding so many tears that he quite excited compassion. The father, after hearing his confession, asked him what devotion he had practiced. He replied that on Saturdays he had never failed to abstain from milk diet in honor of Mary, and that on this account the Blessed Virgin had shown him mercy. At the same time, he gave the Father leave to publish the fact. Prayer O great mother of my Lord, I see full well that my ingratitude towards God in thee, and this too for so many years, has merited for me that thou shouldst justly abandon me and no longer have a care for me, for an ungrateful soul is no longer worthy of favors. But I, O lady, have a high idea of thy great goodness. I believe it to be far greater than my ingratitude. Continue then, O refuge of sinners, and cease not to help a miserable sinner who confides in thee. O Mother of mercy, deign to extend a helping hand to a poor fallen wretch who asks thee for pity. O Mary, either defend me thyself, or tell me to whom I can have recourse, and who is better able to defend me than thou. And where can I find God with a more clement and powerful advocate than thou, who art his mother? Thou, in becoming the mother of our Savior, wast thereby made the fitting instrument to save sinners, and was given me for my salvation. O Mary, save him who has recourse to thee. I deserve not thy love, but it is thine own desire to save sinners that makes me hope that thou lovest me. And if thou lovest me, how can I be lost? O oh, my own beloved mother, if by thee I save my soul, as I hope to do, I shall no longer be ungrateful. I shall make up for my past ingratitude, and for the love which thou hast shown me by my everlasting praises, and all the affections of my soul. Happy in heaven, where thou reignest and wilt reign forever, I shall always sing thy mercies and kiss for eternity those loving hands which have delivered me from hell as often as I have deserved it by my sins. O Mary, my liberator, my hope, my queen, my advocate, my own sweet mother, I love thee. I desire thy glory, and I love thee forever. Amen, amen. Thus do I hope. Part 3. Mary is the peacemaker between sinners and God. The grace of God is the greatest and most desirable of treasures for every soul. It is called by the Holy Ghost an infinite treasure, 
for by the means of divine grace we are raised to the honor of being friends of God. These are the words of the Book of Wisdom. For she is an infinite treasure to men, which they that use become the friends of God. And hence Jesus, our Redeemer and God, did not hesitate to call those his friends who were in grace. You are my friends. O accursed sin that dissolves this friendship! But your iniquities, says the prophet Isaiah, have divided between you and your God. And putting hatred between the soul and God, it is changed from a friend into an enemy of its Lord, as expressed in the Book of Wisdom. But to God the wicked and his wickedness are hateful alike. What, then, must a sinner do who has the misfortune to be the enemy of God? He must find a mediator who will obtain pardon for him, and who will enable him to recover the lost friendship of God. Be comforted, O unfortunate soul who hast lost thy God, says St. Bernard. Thy Lord himself has provided thee with a mediator, and this is his Son Jesus, who can obtain for thee all that thou desirest. He has given thee Jesus for a mediator, and what is there that such a son cannot obtain from the Father? But, O oh God, exclaims the saint, and, and why should this merciful Savior, who gave his life to save us, be ever thought severe? Why should men believe him terrible, who is all love? O oh, distrustful sinners, what do you fear? If your fear arises from having offended God, know that Jesus has fastened all your sins on the cross with his own lacerated hands, and having satisfied divine justice for them by his death, he has already effaced them from your souls. Here are the words of the saint. They imagine him rigorous, who is all compassion, terrible, who is all love. What do you fear, O ye of little faith? With his own hands he has fastened your sins to the cross. But if by chance, adds the saint, thou fearest to have recourse to Jesus Christ because of the majesty of God in him over thee, for though he became man, he did not cease to be God, and thou desirest another advocate with this divine mediator, go to Mary, for she will intercede for thee with the Son, who will most certainly hear her, and then he will intercede with the Father, who can deny nothing to such a son. Thence St. Bernard concludes, This divine mother, O my children, is the ladder of sinners, by which they reascend to the height of divine grace. She is my greatest confidence. She is the whole ground of my hope. The Holy Ghost in the sacred canticles makes the most blessed virgin use the following words. I am a wall, and my breasts are as a tower, since I am become in his presence as one finding peace. That is, I am the defender of those who have recourse to me, and my mercy towards them is like a tower of refuge, and therefore I have been appointed by my Lord, the peacemaker between sinners and God. Mary, says Cardinal Hugo on the above text, is the great peacemaker who finds and obtains the reconciliation of enemies with God, salvation for those who are lost, pardon for sinners, and mercy for those who are in despair. And therefore was she called by the divine bridegroom, beautiful as the curtains of Solomon. In the tents of David, questions of war alone were treated. But in those of Solomon, 
questions of peace only were entertained. And thus does the Holy Spirit give us to understand that this Mother of Mercy never treats of war and vengeance against sinner, but only of peace and forgiveness for them. Mary was prefigured by the dove which returned to Noah in the ark with an olive branch in its beak, as a pledge of the peace which God granted to men. And on this idea St. Bonaventure thus addresses our Blessed Lady, Thou art that most faithful dove. Thou wast a sure mediatress between God and the world, lost in a spiritual deluge. Thou, by presenting thyself before God, hast obtained for a lost world peace and salvation. Mary, then, was the heavenly dove which brought to a lost world the olive branch, the sign of mercy, since she in the first place gave us Jesus Christ, who is the source of mercy, and then, by his merits, obtained all graces for us. And as by Mary, says St. Epiphanius, heavenly peace was once for all given to the world, so by her are sinners still reconciled to God. Wherefore, blessed Albert the Great makes her say, I am that dove of Noah, which brought the olive branch of universal peace to the church. Again, the rainbow seen by St. John, which encircled the throne of God, was an express figure of Mary, and there was a rainbow round about the throne. It is thus explained by Cardinal Vitalis, The rainbow round the throne is Mary, who softens the judgment and sentence of God against sinners meaning that she is always before God's tribunal, mitigating the chastisements due to sinners. St. Bernardine of Siena says that it was of this rainbow that God spoke when he promised Noah that he would place it in the clouds as a sign of peace, that on looking at it he might remember the eternal peace which he had covenanted to man. I will set my bow in the clouds, and it shall be the sign of a covenant between me and between the earth and I shall see it, and shall remember the everlasting covenant. Mary, says the saint, is this bow of eternal peace. For as God, on seeing it, remembers the peace promised to the earth, so does he, at the prayers of Mary, forgive the crimes of sinners, and confirm his peace with them. For the same reason, Mary is compared to the moon, in the sacred canticles, fair as the moon. For, says St. Bonaventure, as the moon is between the heavens and the earth, so does Mary continually place herself between God and sinners in order to appease our Lord in their regard and to enlighten them to return to him. The chief office given to Mary on being placed in this world was to raise up souls that had fallen from divine grace and to reconcile them with God. Feed thy goats was our Lord's command to her in creating her. It is well known that sinners are understood by goats, and that as at the last judgment the just under the figure of sheep will be on the right hand, so will the goats be on the left. These goats, says the abbot William, are entrusted to thee, O great mother, that thou mayest change them into sheep, and those who by their sins deserve to be driven to the left will by thy intercession be placed on the right. And therefore our Lord revealed to St. Catherine of Siena that he had created this, his beloved daughter, to be as a most sweet bait by which to catch men, and especially sinners, and draw them to God. 
but on this subject we must not pass over the beautiful reflection of William the Angelical on the above text of the sacred canticles, in which he says that God recommended her own goats to Mary. For, adds this author, the Blessed Virgin does not save all sinners, but those only who serve and honor her. So much so, indeed, that those who live in sin and neither honor her with any particular act of homage nor recommend themselves to her in order to extricate themselves from sin, they certainly are not Mary's goats, but at the last judgment will, for their eternal misery, be driven to the left hand of with the damned. A certain nobleman, despairing of his salvation on account of his many crimes, was encouraged by a monk to have recourse to the Most Blessed Virgin, and for this purpose to visit a devout statue of Mary in a particular church. He went there, and, on seeing the image, he felt as if she invited him to cast himself at her feet and to have confidence. He hastened to prostrate and kiss her feet. When Mary extended her hand, gave it to him to kiss, and on it he saw written these words, I will deliver thee from those who oppress thee, as though she had said, My son, despair not, for I will deliver thee from the sins and sorrows that weigh so heavily on thee. On reading these sweet words, this poor sinner was filled with such sorrow for his sins, and at the same time with so ardent a love for God and his tender mother, that he instantly expired at the feet of Mary. Oh, how many obstinate sinners does not this loathstone of hearts draw each day to God! For thus did she call herself one day, saying to St. Bridget, As the loadstone attracts iron, so do I attract hearts, yea, even the most hardened hearts, to reconcile them with God. We must not suppose that such prodigies are extraordinary events. They are everyday occurrences. For my own part, I could relate many cases of the kind that have occurred in our missions, where certain sinners with hearts harder than iron continued so through all the other sermons, but no sooner did they hear the one on the mercies of Mary than they were filled with compunction and returned to God. St. Gregory says that the unicorn is so fierce a beast that no hunter can take it. At the voice only of a virgin crying out will this beast approach, and without resistance allow itself to be bound by her. Oh, how many sinners, more savage than the wild beasts themselves, and who fly from God, at the voice of this great Virgin Mary approach and allow themselves to be sweetly bound to God by her. St. John Chrysostom says that another purpose for which the Blessed Virgin Mary was made the Mother of God was that she might obtain salvation for many who, on account of their wicked lives, could not be saved according to the rigor of divine justice, but might be so with the help of her sweet mercy and powerful intercession. This is confirmed by St. Anselm, who says that Mary was raised to the dignity of Mother of God, rather for sinners than for the just, since Jesus Christ declares that he came not to call the just, but sinners. For this reason the Holy Church sings, Thou dost not abhor sinners, without whom thou wouldst never have been worthy of such a son. For the same reason, William of Paris, invoking her, says, O Mary, thou art obliged to help sinners for all the gifts, the graces, and high honors which are comprised on the dignity of Mother of God, 
that thou hast received, thou owest all, so to say, to sinners, for on their account thou wast made worthy to have a God for thy son. If then Mary, concludes St. Anselm, was made mother of God on account of sinners, how can I, however great my sins may be, despair of pardon? The Holy Church tells us in the prayer said in the Mass of the Vigil of the Assumption, the Divine Mother was taken from this world that she might interpose for us with God, with certain confidence of obtaining all. Hence, St. Justin calls Mary an arbitrexix. The Eternal Word uses Mary, he says, as an arbitratrix. An arbitrator is one into whose hands contending parties confide their whole case. And so the saint meant to say that as Jesus is the mediator with the Eternal Father, so also is Mary our mediatress with Jesus, and that he puts all the reasons that he has for pronouncing sentence against us into her hands. St. Andrew of Crete calls Mary a pledge, a security for our reconciliation with God. That is, that God goes about seeking for reconciliation with sinners by pardoning them, and in order that they may not doubt of their forgiveness, he has given them Mary as a pledge of it, and therefore he exclaims, Hail, O peace of God with men! Wherefore St. Bonaventure encourages a sinner, saying, If thou fearest that on account of thy faults God in his anger will be avenged, what hast thou to do? Go, have recourse to Mary, who is the hope of sinners. And if thou fearest that she may refuse to take thy part, know that she cannot do so, for God himself has imposed on her the duty of succoring the miserable. The abbot Adam also says, Need that sinner fear being lost to whom the mother of the judge offers herself to be the mother and advocate? And thou, O Mary, he adds, who art the mother of mercy, wilt thou disdain to intercede with thy son who is the judge for another son who is a sinner? Wilt thou refuse to interpose in favor of a redeemed soul with the Redeemer who died on a cross to save sinners? No, no, thou wilt not reject him, but with all affection thou wilt pray for all who have recourse to thee, well knowing that the Lord, who has appointed thy Son a mediator of peace between God and men, has also made thee mediatress between judge and culprit. Then, O sinner, says St. Bernard, whoever thou mayest be, embedded in crime, grown old in sin, despair not. Thank thy Lord, who, that he might show thee mercy, has not only given his Son for thy advocate, but to encourage thee to greater confidence has provided thee with a mediatress who by her prayers obtains whatever she wills. Go then, have recourse to Mary, and thou wilt be saved. Example In Braganza there was a young man who, after giving up the confraternity, abandoned himself to so many crimes that one day, in despair, he went to drown himself in a river. But before doing so, he addressed our Blessed Lady, saying, O Mary, I once served thee in the confraternity. Help me. The Most Blessed Virgin appeared to him and said, Yes, and now what art thou going to do? Dost thou wish to lose thyself both in soul and body? 
Go, confess thy sins, and rejoin the confraternity. The young man, encouraged hereby, thanked the Blessed Virgin and changed his life. Prayer O oh, my most sweet lady, since thy office is, as William of Paris says, that of a mediatress between God and sinners, I will address thee in the words of St. Thomas of Villanova. Fulfill thy office in my behalf, O tender advocate, do thy work. Say not that my cause is too difficult to gain, for I know, and all tell me so, that every cause, no matter how desperate, if undertaken by thee, is never, and never will be, lost. And will mine be lost? Ah, no, this I cannot fear. The only thing that I might fear is that, on seeing the multitude of my sins, thou mightest not undertake my defense. But on seeing thy immense mercy, and the very great desire of thy most sweet heart to help the most abandoned sinners, even this I cannot fear. And who was ever lost that had recourse to thee? Therefore I invoke thy aid, O my great advocate, my refuge, my hope, my mother Mary. To thy hands do I entrust the cause of my eternal salvation. To thee do I commit my soul. It was lost, but thou hast to save it. I will always thank our Lord for having given me this great confidence in thee, and which, notwithstanding my unworthiness, I feel is an assurance of salvation. I have but one fear to afflict me, O beloved Queen, and that is that I may one day, by my own negligence, lose this confidence in thee. And therefore I implore thee, O Mary, by the love thou here bearest to Jesus, thyself to preserve and increase in me more and more this sweet confidence in thy intercession, by which I hope most certainly to recover the divine friendship that I have hitherto so madly despised and lost. And having recovered it, I hope through thee to preserve it, and preserving it by the same means I hope at length to thank thee for it in heaven, and there to sing God's mercies and thine for all eternity. Amen. This is my hope. Thus may it be, thus will it be. Chapter 7 Turn then thine eyes of mercy towards us. Mary, our guardian. Mary is all eyes to pity and succor us in our necessities. Saint Epiphanius calls the Divine Mother many-eyed, indicating thereby her vigilance in assisting us poor creatures in this world. A possessed person was once being exorcised and was questioned by the exorcist as to what Mary did. The devil replied, She descends and descends. And he meant that this benign lady is constantly descending from heaven to bring graces to men and reascending to obtain the divine favor on our prayers. With reason, then, St. Andrew Avellino used to call the Blessed Virgin the Heavenly Commissioner, for she is continually carrying messages of mercy and obtaining graces for all, for just and sinners. God fixes his eyes on the just, says the royal prophet. The eyes of the Lord are on the just. But the eyes of the lady, says Richard of St. Lawrence, are on the just and on the sinners. For, he adds, the eyes of Mary are the eyes of a mother, 
and a mother not only watches her child to prevent it from falling, but when it has fallen, she raises it up. Jesus himself revealed this to St. Bridget, for one day he allowed her to hear him thus addressing his holy mother. My mother, ask me what thou wilt. And thus is her son constantly addressing Mary in heaven, taking pleasure in gratifying his beloved mother in all that she asks. But what does Mary ask? St. Bridget heard her reply, I ask mercy for sinners. As if she had said, My son, thou hast made me the mother of mercy, the refuge of sinners, the advocate of the miserable, and now thou tellest me to ask what I desire. What can I ask except mercy for them? I ask mercy for the miserable. And so, O Mary, thou art so full of mercy, says St. Bonaventure with deep feeling, so attentive in relieving the wretched, that it seems that thou that hast no other desire, no other anxiety. And as amongst the miserable, sinners are the most miserable of all. Venerable Beatty declares, that Mary is always praying to her son for them. Even whilst living in this world, says St. Jerome, the heart of Mary was so filled with tenderness and compassion for men that no one ever suffered so much for his own pains as Mary suffered for the pains of others. The compassion for others in affliction she well showed at the marriage feast of Cana, spoken of in the preceding chapters, when the wine failing without being asked, remarks St. Bernardine of Siena, she charged herself with the office of a tender comfortress. And moved to compassion at the sight of the embarrassment of the bride and groom, she interposed with her son and obtained the miraculous change of water into wine. But perhaps, says St. Peter Damien, addressing Mary, now that thou art raised to the high dignity of Queen of Heaven, thou forgettest us poor creatures. Ah, far be such a thought from our minds, he adds, for it would little become the great compassion that reigns in the heart of Mary ever to forget such misery as ours. The proverb that honors change our manners does not apply to Mary. With worldlings it is otherwise, for they, once raised onto a high dignity, become proud and forget their former poor friends. But it is not so with Mary, who rejoices in her own exaltation because she is thus better able to help the miserable. On this subject, St. Bonaventure applies to the Blessed Virgin the words addressed to Ruth, Blessed art thou of the Lord, my daughter, and thy latter kindness has surpassed the former. Meaning to say that if the compassion of Mary was great towards the miserable when living in this world, it is much greater now that she reigns in heaven. He then gives the reason for this, saying that the Divine Mother shows by the innumerable graces that she obtains for us her greater mercy, for now she is better acquainted with our miseries. Thence he adds that as the splendor of the sun surpasses that of the moon, so does the compassion of Mary, now that she is in heaven, surpass the compassion she had for us when in the world. In conclusion, he asks, Who is there living in this world who does not enjoy the light of the sun, and on whom does not the mercy of Mary shine? For this reason, in the sacred canticles she is called bright as the sun. For no one is excluded from the warmth of this sun, says St. Bonaventure, according to the words of the psalmist. And the same thing was also revealed to St. Bridget by St. Agnes, who told her that our Queen, now that she is united to her Son in Heaven, 
cannot forget her innate goodness, and therefore she shows her compassion to all, even to the most impious sinners, so much so that as the celestial and terrestrial bodies are all illumined by the sun, so there is no one in the world who, if he asks for it, does not, through the tenderness of Mary, partake of the divine mercy. St. Bernard says that Mary has made herself all to all and opens her merciful heart to all, that all may receive of her fullness, the slave redemption, the sick health, those in affliction comfort, the sinner pardon, and God glory, that thus there may be no one who can hide himself from her warmth. Who can there be in the world, exclaims St. Bonaventure, who refuses to love this most amiable queen? She is more beautiful than the sun, and sweeter than honey. She has a treasure of goodness, amiable and courteous to all. I salute thee then, concludes the enraptured saint, O oh, my lady and mother, nay, even my heart, my soul. Forgive me, O oh Mary, if I say that I love thee, for if I am not worthy to love thee, at least thou art all worthy to be loved by me. It was revealed to St. Gertrude that when these words are addressed with devotion to the Most Blessed Virgin, turn then, O Most Gracious Advocate, thine eyes of mercy towards us, Mary cannot do otherwise than yield to the demand of whoever thus invokes her. Ah, truly great lady, says St. Bernard, does the immensity of thy mercy fill the whole world. And therefore, says St. Bonaventure, this loving mother has so earnest a desire to do good to all that not only is she offended by those who positively outrage her, as some are wicked enough to do, but she is offended at those who do not ask her of favors or graces. So that St. Hildebert addresses her, saying, Thou, O lady, teachest us to hope for far greater graces than we deserve, since thou never ceasest to dispense graces far, far beyond our merits. The prophet Isaiah foretold that, together with the great work of the redemption of the human race, a throne of divine mercy was to be prepared for us poor creatures, and a throne shall be prepared in mercy. What is this throne? St. Bonaventure answers, Mary is the throne at which all, just and sinners, find the consolations of mercy. He then adds, For as we have a most merciful Lord, so also we have a most merciful Lady. Our Lord is plenteous in mercy to all who call upon Him, and Our Lady is plenteous in mercy to all who call upon her. As our Lord is full of mercy, so also is Our Lady. And as the Son knows not how to refuse mercy to those who call upon Him, neither does the Mother. Wherefore the Abbot Quirick thus addresses the Mother. In the name of Jesus Christ, my Mother, in Thee will I establish the seat of my government. Through Thee will I pronounce judgments hear prayers, and grant the graces asked of me. Thou hast given me my human nature, and I will give thee my divine nature, that is, omnipotence, by which thou mayest be able to help to save all whomsoever thou pleasest. One day, when St. Gertrude was addressing the foregoing words, Turn thine eyes of mercy towards us, to the Divine Mother, she saw the Blessed Virgin pointing to the eyes of her Son, whom she held in her arms, and then said, 
These are the most compassionate eyes that I can turn for their salvation towards all who call upon me. A sinner was once weeping before an image of Mary, imploring her to obtain pardon for him from God, when he perceived that the Blessed Virgin turned towards the child that she held in her arms and said, My son, shall these tears be lost? And he understood that Jesus Christ had already pardoned him. How, then, is it possible that anyone can perish who recommends himself to this good mother, since her son, as God, has, pro has promised her that for her love he will show as much mercy as she pleases to all who recommended themselves to her? This our Lord revealed to St. Gertrude, allowing her to hear him make the promise to his mother in the following words, In my omnipotence, O Reverend Mother, I have granted thee the reconciliation of all sinners who devoutly invoke the aid of thy compassion, in whatever way it may please thee. On this assurance, the abbot Adam of Perzini, considering the great power of Mary with God, and at the same time her great compassion for us, full of confidence, says, O Mother of Mercy, thy tender compassion is as great as thy power and thou art as compassionate in forgiving as thou art powerful in obtaining all. And when, he asks, did the case ever occur in which thou, who art the mother of mercy, didst not show compassion? Oh, when was it that thou, who art the mother of omnipotence, couldst not aid? Ah, yes, with the same facility with which thou didst see our misfortunes, thou obtainest for us whatever thou willest. Satiate, O oh, satiate thyself, great queen, says the abbot Guerrick, with the glory of thy son, and out of compassion, though not for any merit of ours, be pleased to send us, thy servants and children here below, the crumbs that fall from thy table. Should the sight of our sins ever discourage us, let us address the Mother of Mercy in the words of William of Paris. O oh, lady, do not set up my sins against me, for I oppose thy compassion to them. Let it never be said that my sins could contend in judgment against thy mercy, which is far more powerful to obtain me pardon than my sins are to obtain condemnation. Example In the kingdom of Valencia, a great sinner resolved to become a Mohammedan, hoping thereby to escape from the arm of justice. On his way to the ship's landing where he meant to set sail, he entered a church in which the Jesuit Jerome Lopez was preaching on the mercy of God. Touched by the sermon, the poor sinner went to confession to the missioner. When asked if he had practiced any special devotion to which this great grace might be attributed, he replied, I simply prayed to Mary every day not to abandon me. In a certain hospital, the same father met a sinner who had not gone to confession for fifty-five years. He had, however, practiced this little devotion. Whenever he passed her picture, he greeted the Mother of God and asked her for a happy end. He then related, One day, while fighting with the, my enemy, my dagger broke. I turned to Mary and cried out, Alas, alas, now I shall be killed and eternally lost. Mother of sinners, help me. Scarcely had he said this when he found himself in safety. The poor sinner made a general confession and died full of confidence. Prayer O oh, greatest and most sublime of all creatures, 
Most sacred virgin, I salute thee from this earth. I, a miserable and unfortunate rebel against my God, who deserve chastisements, not favors, justice, and not mercy. O oh, lady, I say not this because I doubt thy compassion. I know that the greater thou art, the more thou dost glory in being benign. I know that thou rejoicest that thou art so rich because thou art thus enabled to succor us poor miserable creatures. I know that the greater is the poverty of those who have recourse to thee, the more dost thou exert thyself to protect and save them. O oh, my mother, it was thou who didst one day weep over thy son who died for me. Offer, I beseech thee, thy tears to God, and by these obtain for me true sorrow for my sins. Sinners then afflicted thee so much, and I by my crimes have done the same. Obtain for me, O Mary, that at least from this day forward I may not continue to afflict thee and thy son by my ingratitude. What would thy sorrow avail me if I continue to be ungrateful to thee? To what purpose would thy mercy have been shown me if again I was unfaithful and lost? No, my queen, permit it not. Thou hast supplied for all my shortcomings. Thou obtainest from God what thou wilt. Thou grantest the prayers of all. I ask of thee two graces. I expect them from thee, and will not be satisfied with less. Obtain for me that I may be faithful to God, and no more offend him, and love him during the remainder of my life as much as I have offended him. Chapter 8 And after this our exile, show unto us the blessed fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Mary, our salvation. Part 1. Mary delivers her clients from hell. It is impossible for a client of Mary. It is impossible for a client of Mary, who is faithful in honoring and recommending himself to her, to be lost. To some, this proposition may appear at first sight exaggerated, but anyone to whom this might seem to be the case, I would beg to suspend his judgment and, first of all, read what I have to say on this subject. When we say that it is impossible for a client of Mary to be lost, we must not be understood as speaking of those clients who take advantage of this devotion that they may sin more freely, and therefore those who disapprove of the great praises bestowed on the clemency of this most blessed virgin because it causes the wicked to take advantage of it to sin with greater freedom do so without foundation for such presumptive people deserve chastisement and not mercy for their rash confidence it is therefore to be understood of those clients who with a sincere desire to amend are faithful in honoring and recommending themselves to the mother of god it is, I say, morally impossible that such as these should be lost. And I find that Father Crasset, in his book on devotion towards the Blessed Virgin Mary, says the same thing, as did also Vega before him in his Marian theology, Mendoza, and other theologians. And that we may see that they did not speak at random, let us examine what other saints and learned men have said on this subject. And let no one be surprised if many of these quotations are alike, for I have wished to give them all in order to show how unanimous the various writers have been on the subject. St. Anselm says that 
as it is impossible for one who is not devout to Mary and consequently not protected by her to be saved, so it is impossible for anyone who recommends himself to her and consequently is beloved by her to be lost. St. Antoninus repeats the same thing and almost in the same words, as it is impossible for those from whom Mary turns her eyes of mercy to be saved, so also those towards whom she turns these eyes and for whom she prays, necessarily saved and glorified. Consequently, the clients of Mary will necessarily be saved. Let us pay particular attention to the first part of the opinions of these saints, and let those tremble who make little account of their devotion to this Divine Mother, or from carelessness give it up. They say that the salvation of those who are not protected by Mary is impossible. Many others declare the same thing, such as Blessed Albert, who says that all those who are not thy servants, O Mary, will perish. And Saint Bonaventure, he who neglects the service of the Blessed Virgin will die in his sins. Again, he who does not invoke thee, O lady, will never get to heaven. And on the 99th Psalm, the saint even says that not only those from whom Mary turns her face will not be saved, but that there will be no hope of their salvation. Before him, St. Ignatius the martyr says that it was impossible for any sinner to be saved without the help and favor of the most blessed virgin, because those who are not saved by the justice of God are with infinite mercy saved by the intercession of Mary. Some doubt as to whether this passage is truly of St. Ignatius, but, but at, all at all events, as Father Crasset remarks, it was adopted by St. John Chrysostom. It is also repeated by the abbot of Celis, and in the same sense does the Church apply to Mary the words of Proverbs, All that hate me love death. That is, all who do not love me love eternal death. For, as Richard of St. Lawrence says on the words of the same book, she is like the merchant's ship. All those who are out of this ship will be lost in the sea of the world. Even the heretical Ecolampadius looked upon little devotion to the Mother of God as a certain mark of reprobation. Therefore he said, Far be it from me ever to turn from Mary. We will continue on the next side of the tape. We now continue with the glories of Mary by St. Alphonsus de Liguri. But on the other hand, Mary says in the words applied to her by the Church, He that hearkeneth to me shall not be confounded. That is to say, he that listeneth to what I say shall not be lost. On which St. Bonaventure says, O lady, he who honors thee will be far from damnation. And this will still be the case, St. Hilary observes, even should the person during the past time have greatly offended God. However great a sinner he may have been, says the saint, if he shows himself devout to Mary, he will never perish. For this reason, the devil does his utmost with sinners in order that, after they have lost the grace of God, they may also lose devotion to Mary. 
when Sarah saw Isaac in company with Ishmael, who was teaching him evil habits, she desired that Abraham would drive away both Ishmael and his mother, Agar. Cast out this bondwoman and her son. She was not satisfied with the son being turned out of the house, but insisted on the mother going also, thinking that otherwise the son, coming to see his mother, would continue to frequent the house. The devil also is not satisfied with the soul turning out Jesus Christ, unless it also turns out his mother. Cast out this bondwoman and her son. Otherwise he fears that the mother will again by her intercession bring back her son. And his fears are well grounded, says the learned Pacciuccelli, for he who is faithful in serving the mother of God will soon receive God himself by the means of Mary. St. Ephraim, then, was right in calling devotion to our Blessed Lady a charter of liberty, our safeguard from hell. The same saint also calls the Divine Mother the only hope of those who are in despair. That which St. Bernard says is certainly true, that neither the power nor the will to save us can be wanting to Mary. The power cannot be wanting, for it is impossible that her prayers should not be heard. As St. Antoninus says, it is impossible that a mother of God should pray in vain. And St. Bernard says the same thing, that her requests can never be refused, but that she obtains whatever she wills. The will to save us cannot be wanting, for Mary is our mother and desires our salvation more than we can desire it ourselves. Since then this is the case, how can it be possible for a client of Mary to be lost? He may be a sinner, but if he recommends himself to this good mother with perseverance and purpose of amendment, she will undertake to obtain him light to abandon his wicked state, sorrow for his sins, perseverance in virtue, and finally a good death. And what mother would not deliver her son from death if it only depended on her asking the favor to obtain it from the judge? And, and can we think that Mary, who loves her clients with a mother's most tender love, will not deliver her child from eternal death when she can do it so easily? Ah, devout reader, let us thank our Lord if we see that he has given us affection for the great Queen of Heaven and confidence in her. For, says St. John Damascene, God only grants this favor to those whom he is determined to save. The following are the beautiful words of the saint and with which he rekindles his own and our hope. O mother. o mother of God, if I place my confidence in thee, I shall be saved. If I am under thy protection, I have nothing to fear. For the fact of being thy client is the possession of a certainty of salvation, and which God only grants to those whom he intends to save. Therefore Erasmus salutes the Blessed Virgin in these words, Hail, O terror of hell! O hope of Christians, confidence in thee is a pledge of salvation. Oh, how enraged is the devil when he sees a soul persevering in devotion to the Divine Mother. We read in the life of Blessed Alphonsus Rodriguez, who was very devout to Mary, that once when in prayer, finding himself much troubled by the devil with impure thoughts, this enemy said, Give up thy devotion to Mary, and I will cease to tempt thee. We read in Blosius that God revealed to St. Catherine of Siena 
that in his goodness and on account of the incarnate word he had granted to Mary, who was his mother, that no one, not even a sinner, who devoutly recommends himself to her, should ever become the prey of hell. Even the prophet David prayed to be delivered from hell for the sake of the love he bore to Mary. I have loved, O Lord, the beauty of thy house. Take not away my soul, O God, with the wicked. He says of thy house, for Mary was the house that God himself constructed for his dwelling on earth, and in which he could find repose on becoming man, as it is written in the book of Proverbs, Wisdom hath built herself a house. No, says St. Ignatius the martyr, he who is devout to the virgin mother will certainly never be lost. And St. Bonaventure confirms this, saying, Thy lovers, O lady, enjoy peace in this life, and will never see eternal death. The devout Blosius assures us that the case never did and never will occur in which a humble and attentive servant of Mary was lost. Oh, how many would have remained obstinate in sin and have been eternally lost, says Thomas A. Kempis, if Mary had not interposed with her son that he might show them mercy. It is also the opinion of many theologians, and of St. Thomas in particular, that for as many who have died in mortal sin, the Divine Mother has obtained from God a suspension of their sentence and a return to life to do penance. Trustworthy authors give us many instances in which this has occurred. Amongst others, Flodardus, who lived about the ninth century, relates in his Chronicles, that a certain deacon named Alderman, who was apparently dead and was being buried, returned to life and said that he had seen hell, to which he was condemned, but that at the prayers of the Blessed Virgin he had been sent back to this world to do penance. Sirius relates a similar case of a Roman citizen named Andrew who had died impenitent and for whom Mary obtained that he should come to life again that he might be pardoned. Palbertus says that in his time, when the emperor Sigismund was crossing the Alps with his army, a voice was heard coming from a skeleton, asking for a confessor, and declaring that the mother of God, for whom he had had a tender devotion when a soldier, had obtained that he should thus live until he had been able to make his confession, and having done so, the soul departed. The editor's footnote at this point reads this way. This is undoubtedly a very strange fact. However, who will dispute it, either by limiting the power of God, or the influence of the Blessed Virgin, or by refusing to believe the authority of a writer such as Father Pelbert, who, in a book dedicated to Pope Sixtus IV, relates in detail this prodigy as having happened at his time in the presence of an illustrious emperor and the members of his court, several of whom, as they were yet living, could have convicted him of falsehood if he had not told the truth. This reflection is made by Father Crasset. It may also be applied to other examples not less wonderful. Moreover, the miracle of which there is question here is affirmed by a great number of most respectable authors. Among them, St. Alphonsus continues, these and other such examples, however, must not encourage rash persons to live in sin, 
with the hope that Mary will deliver them from hell even should they die in this state, for as it would be the height of folly for any one to throw himself into a well with the hope that Mary would preserve his life because she has occasionally preserved some under similar circumstances, still greater folly would it be to run the risk of dying in sin in the hope that the Blessed Virgin would save him from hell. But these examples serve to revive our confidence with the reflection that if the Divine Mother had been able to deliver from hell even someone who have died in sin, how much more will she be able to preserve from a similar lot those who, during life, have recourse to her with the purpose of amendment, and who serve her faithfully? What then will be our lot, O tender mother, let us ask with St. Germanus, who are sinners, but desire to change, and have recourse to thee, who art the life of Christians? St. Anselm says that he will not be lost for whom thou once prayest. O pray then for us, and we shall be preserved from hell. Who, exclaims Richard of St. Vicar, will presume to say, if I have thee to defend me, O Mother of Mercy, that the judge will be unfavorable to me when I am presented before the divine tribunal. Blessed Henry Suso used to say that he had placed his soul in the hands of Mary, and that if he was condemned, the sentence must pass through her hands, being confident that if it was in such hands, this tender virgin would certainly prevent its execution. The same do I hope for myself, O my own most holy queen, and therefore I will always repeat the words of St. Bonaventure, In thee, O lady, have I placed all my hopes, and thus I confidently trust that I shall never be lost, but praise and love thee forever in heaven. Example In the year 1604, in a city of Belgium, there were two young men, students, but who, instead of attending to their studies, gave themselves up to a life of debauchery. One night they were both in the house with an evil companion, when one of them, named Richard, returned home, leaving his companion there. After he had reached home and had begun to undress, he remembered that he had not that day said some Hail Marys that he was in the habit of reciting. Feeling, feeling very sleepy, he was loth to say them. He did himself violence and repeated them, though without devotion and half asleep. He then lay down and had fallen into a sound slumber, when he was suddenly aroused by a violent knocking at the door, and without its opening he saw his companion, deformed and hideous, standing before him. "'Who art thou?' he cried out. "'What? Dost thou not know me?' "'Ah, yes, but how thou art changed!' Thou seemest to me a devil. Truly, he exclaimed, poor unfortunate creature that I am, I am damned. And how? When I was leaving that wicked house, a devil came and strangled me. My body is in the street, and my soul in hell. And thou must know, he added, that this same fate awaited thee, had not the Blessed Virgin preserved thee in consideration of that little act of homage of the Hail Mary, fortunate art thou, if only thou knowest how to take advantage of this warning sent thee by the mother of God. With these words he opened his mantle, and showing the flames and serpents by which he was tormented, he disappeared. 
Richard immediately burst into sobs and tears, and casting himself prostrate on the ground, he returned thanks to Mary, his protectress, and whilst thinking of how to change his life, he heard the bell of the Franciscan monastery ringing for matins. Ah, it is there, says he, that God calls me to do penance. He went immediately to the convent and implored the fathers to admit him, but they were hardly willing to do so, knowing his wicked life. But he, sobbing bitterly, told all that had taken place, and two fathers being sent to the street and having found the strangled body, which was black as coal, they admitted him. From that time forward, Richard led a most exemplary life, and at last went to preach the gospel in the Indies, and thence to Japan, where he had the happiness of giving his life for Jesus Christ, being burnt alive for the faith. Prayer O oh Mary, my most dear mother, in what abyss of evils should I not now be if thou hadst not so many times delivered me with thy compassionate hand? How many years ago should I not have been in hell hadst thou not saved me by thy powerful prayers? My grievous sins already drove me there. Divine justice had already condemned me. The devils already longed to execute the sentence and thou didst fly to my aid and save me without being even called or asked. And what return can I make to thee, O my beloved protectress, for so many favors and for such love? Thou also didst overcome the hardness of my heart and didst draw me to thy love and to confidence in thee. And into how many other evils should I not have fallen if with thy compassionate hand Thou hadst not so often helped me in the dangers into which I was on the point of falling. Continue, O oh my hope, to preserve me from hell and from the sins into which I may still fall. Never allow me to have this misfortune to curse thee in hell. My beloved lady, I love thee. Can thy goodness ever endure to see a servant of thine that loves thee lost? Ah, then obtain that I may never more be ungrateful to thee and to my God, who, for the love of thee, has granted me so many graces. O oh, Mary, tell me, shall I be lost? Yes, if I abandon thee. But is this possible? Can I ever forget the love thou hast borne me? Thou, after God, art the love of my soul. I can no longer trust myself to live without loving thee. O oh, most beautiful, most holy, most amiable, sweetest creature in the world, I rejoice in thy happiness. I love thee, and I hope always to love thee, both in time and in eternity. Amen. Part 2. Mary Suckers, Her Clients in Purgatory Fortunate indeed are the clients of this most compassionate mother. For not only does she succor them in this world, but even in purgatory where they are helped and comforted by her protection. And as in that prison poor souls are in the greatest need of assistance, since in their torments they cannot help themselves, our Mother of Mercy does proportionately more to relieve them. St. Bernardine of Siena says that in that prison where souls are the spouses of Jesus Christ, are detained, Mary has a certain dominion and plentitude of power 
not only to relieve them, but even to deliver them from their pains. And first, with respect to the relief she gives, the same saint, in applying those words of Ecclesiasticus, I have walked in the waves of the sea, adds that it is by visiting and relieving the necessities and torments of her clients who are her children. He then says that the pains of purgatory are called waves because they are transitory, unlike the pains of hell which never end. And they are called waves of the sea because they are so bitter. The clients of Mary, thus suffering, are often visited and relieved by her. See, therefore, says Novarinus, of what consequence it is to be the servant of this good lady, for her servants she never forgets when they are suffering in those flames. For though Mary relieves all suffering souls in purgatory, yet she always obtains far greater indulgence and relief for her own clients. The Divine Mother once addressed these words to St. Bridget, I am the mother of all souls in purgatory, for all the pains that they have deserved for their sins are every hour, as long as they remain there, in some way mitigated by my prayers. The compassionate mother even condescends to go herself occasionally into that holy prison to visit and comfort her suffering children. St. Bonaventure, applying to Mary the words of Ecclesiasticus, I have penetrated into the bottom of the deep, says the deep, that is purgatory, to relieve by my presence the holy souls detained there. Oh, how courteous and benign is the most blessed virgin, says St. Vincent Ferrer, to those who suffer in purgatory. Through her they constantly receive comfort and refreshment. And what other consolation have they in their sufferings than Mary, and the relief they receive from this Mother of Mercy? St. Bridget once heard Jesus say to his Holy Mother, Thou art my Mother, the Mother of Mercy, and the consolation of souls in purgatory. The Blessed Virgin herself told the saint that as a poor sick person, bedridden, suffering, and abandoned, is relieved by words of encouragement and consolation, so are the souls in purgatory consoled and relieved by only hearing her name, the mere name of Mary, that name of hope and salvation, and which is frequently invoked by her beloved children in their prison, is a great source of comfort to them. For, says Novarinus, that, that loving mother no sooner hears them call upon her than she offers her prayers to God, and these prayers, as a heavenly dew, immediately refresh them in their burning pains. Yeah. Mary not only consoles and relieves her clients in purgatory, but she delivers them by her prayers. Gerson says that on the day of her assumption into heaven, purgatory was entirely emptied. Novarinus confirms this, saying that it is maintained by many grave authors that when Mary was going to heaven, she asked as a favor from her son to take all the souls then in purgatory with her. And from that time forward, says Gerson, Mary had the privilege of delivering her servants. St. Bernardine of Siena also positively asserts that the Blessed Virgin has the power of delivering souls from purgatory but particularly those of her clients, by her prayers and by applying her merits for them. Novarinus says that by the merits of Mary, not only are the pains of those souls lessened, 
but the time of their sufferings is shortened through her intercession. She has only to ask, and all is done. St. Peter Damien relates that a lady named Marozia appeared after her death to her godmother and told her that on the Feast of the Assumption she, together with a multitude exceeding the population of Rome, had been delivered by Mary from purgatory. Dennis the Carthusian says that on the feasts of the Nativity and Resurrection of Jesus Christ, Mary does the same thing, for on those days, accompanied by choirs of angels, she visits that prison and delivers very many souls from their torments. Novarinus says that he can easily believe that on her, all her own solemn feasts, she delivers many souls from their sufferings. The promise made by our Blessed Lady to Pope John the Twenty-Second is well known. She appeared to him and ordered him to make known to all that on the Saturday after their death she would deliver from purgatory all who wore the Carmelite scapular. This, as Father Crasset relates, was proclaimed by the same pontiff in a bull, which was afterwards confirmed by Alexander V, Clement VII, Pius V, Gregory the Thirteenth and Paul the Fifth, and this latter, in a bull of the year 1613, says that Christian people may piously believe that the Blessed Virgin will help them after death by her continual intercession, her merits, and special protection, and that on Saturdays, the day consecrated by the Church to her, she will, in a more particular manner, help the souls of the brethren of the confraternity of our Blessed Lady of Mount Carmel who have departed this life in a state of grace, provided they have worn the habit, observed the chastity of their state, and recited her office, or if they could not recite it, if they have observed the fasts of the Church and abstained from meats on all Wednesdays except Christmas Day. In the solemn office of our Blessed Lady of Mount Carmel we read that it is piously believed that the Blessed Virgin comforts the brethren of this confraternity in purgatory with maternal love, and that by her intercession she soon delivers them and takes them to heaven. Why should we not hope for the same graces and favors if we are devout clients of this good mother? And if we serve her with a more special love, why can we not hope to go to heaven immediately after death without even going to purgatory? This really took place in the case of Blessed Godfrey, to whom Mary sent the following message by Brother Abando. Tell Brother Godfrey to endeavor to advance rapidly in virtue, and thus he will belong to my son and to me, and when his soul departs, I will not allow it to go to purgatory, but will take it and offer it to my son. Finally, if we wish to relieve the holy souls in purgatory, let us do so by imploring the aid of our Blessed Lady in all our prayers, and especially by offering the rosary for them, as that relieves them greatly, as we shall see in the following example. Example A noble lady, who had an only son, was informed one day that he had been killed. The murderer had by chance taken refuge in her own palace. She then began to reflect that Mary had forgiven the executioners of her son and therefore determined that she would also pardon that criminal for the love of the sorrowful Mary. She not only did this, but also provided him with a horse, 
money, and clothes that he might escape. Her son then appeared to her and told her that he was saved and that for her generous conduct to his enemy the Divine Mother had delivered him from purgatory in which otherwise he would have had to suffer for a long time and that he was then going to paradise. Prayer O Queen of Heaven and Earth, O Mother of the Lord of the World, O Mary of all creatures the greatest, the most exalted, and the most amiable, it is true that there are many in this world who neither know thee nor love thee, but in heaven there are many millions of angels and blessed spirits who love and praise thee continually. Even in this world how many happy souls are there not who burn with thy love and live enamored of thy goodness. Oh, that I also could love thee, O lady worthy of all love. Oh, that I could always remember to serve thee, to praise thee, to honor thee, and engage all to love thee. Thou hast attracted the love of God, whom by thy beauty thou hast, so to say, torn from the bosom of his eternal Father, and engaged to become man, and be thy son. And shall I, a poor worm of the earth, not be enamored of thee? No, my most sweet mother, I also will love thee much, and will do all that I can to make others love thee also. Accept then, O Mary, the desire that I have to love thee, and help me to execute it. I know how favorably thy lovers are looked upon by God. He, after his own glory, desires nothing more than thine, and to see thee honored and loved by all. From thee, O Lady, do I expect all. Through thee, the remission of my sins. Through thee, perseverance. Thou must assist me at death and deliver me from purgatory. And finally, thou must lead me to heaven. All this thy lovers hope from thee and are not deceived. I who love thee with so much affection and above all other things after God hope for the same favors. Part 3. Mary Leads Her Servants to Heaven Oh, what an evident mark of predestination have the servants of Mary! The Holy Church, for the consolation of her clients, puts into her mouth the words of Ecclesiasticus, In all these I sought rest, and I shall abide in the inheritance of the Lord. Cardinal Hugo explains these words and says, Blessed is he in whose house the most holy virgin finds repose. Mary, out of the love she bears to all, endeavors to excite in all devotion towards herself. Many either do not admit it into their souls or do not persevere in it. But blessed is he that receives and preserves it, and I shall abide in the inheritance of the Lord. That is, adds the Cardinal, Blessed is he whose interior offers the Blessed Virgin Mary a place of repose. Devotion toward the Blessed Virgin remains in all who are in the inheritance of our Lord, that is to say, in all who will praise him eternally in heaven. Mary continues, speaking in the words of Ecclesiasticus, He that made me rested in my tabernacle, and he said to me, Let thy dwelling be in Jacob, and thy inheritance in Israel, and take root in my elect. That is, my Creator has condescended to come and repose in my bosom, and his will is 
that I should dwell in the hearts of all the elect, of whom Jacob was a figure, and who are the inheritance of the Blessed Virgin. And that devotion and confidence in me should take root in all the predestined. Oh, how many blessed souls are now in heaven who would never have been there had not Mary, by her powerful intercession, led them thither. I made that in the heavens there should rise light that never faileth. Cardinal Hugo, in his commentary on the above text of Ecclesiasticus, says, in the name of Mary, I have caused as many lights to shine eternally in heaven as I have clients. And then he adds, there are many saints in heaven through her intercession who would never have been there but through her. St. Bonaventure says that the gates of heaven will open to all who confide in the protection of Mary. Hence, St. Ephraim calls devotion to the Divine Mother the unlocking of the gates of the heavenly Jerusalem. The devout Blosius also, addressing our Blessed Lady, says, to thee, O Lady, are committed the keys and the treasures of the kingdom of heaven. And therefore we ought to constantly pray to her in the words of St. Ambrose, Open to us, O Mary, the gates of paradise, since thou hast its keys. Nay more, the church says that thou art its gate. For the same reason, again, is this great mother called by the church the star of the sea. Hail, star of the sea! For, says the angelical St. Thomas, as sailors are guided by a star to the port, so are Christians guided to heaven by Mary. For the same reason, finally, is she called by St. Fulgentius the heavenly ladder. For, says the saint, by Mary God descended from heaven into the world, that by her men might ascend from earth to heaven. And thou, O lady, says St. Athanasius, wast filled with grace that thou mightest be the way of our salvation and the means of ascent to the heavenly kingdom. St. Bernard calls our blessed lady the heavenly chariot, and St. John Geometra salutes her, saying, Hail, resplendent car, signifying that she is the car in which her clients mount to heaven. Blessed are they who know thee, O Mother of God, says St. Bonaventure, for the knowledge of thee is the high road to everlasting life, and the publication of thy virtues is the way of eternal salvation. Dennis the Carthusian asks, Who is there that is saved? Who is there that reigns in heaven? And he answers, They are certainly saved and reign in heaven, for whom this Queen of Mercy intercedes. And this Mary herself confirms in the book of Proverbs. By me kings reign. Through my intercession souls reign, first in this mortal life by ruling their passions, and so come to reign eternally in heaven, where, says St. Augustine, all are kings. Mary, in fine, says Richard of St. Lawrence, is the mistress of heaven, for there she commands as she wills and admits whom she wills, and applying to her the words of Ecclesiasticus, and my power was in Jerusalem. He makes her say, I command what I will, and introduce whom I will. Our Blessed Lady, being Mother of the Lord of Heaven, it is reasonable that she also should be Sovereign Lady of that Kingdom, according to Rupert, 
who says that by right she possesses the whole kingdom of her son. St. Antoninus says that this divine mother has already, by her assistance and prayers, obtained heaven for us, provided we put no obstacle in the way. Hence, says the abbot Guerrick, he who serves Mary and for whom she intercedes is as certain of heaven as if he were already there. St. John Damascene also says that to serve Mary and be her courtier is the greatest honor we can possibly possess. For to serve the Queen of Heaven is already to reign there, and live under her commands is more than to govern. On the other hand, he adds, that those who do not serve Mary will not be saved. For those who are deprived of the help of this great mother are also deprived of that of her son and of the whole court of heaven. May the infinite goodness of our Lord be ever praised, says St. Bernard, for having been pleased to give us Mary as our advocate in heaven, that she, being at the same time the mother of our judge and a mother of mercy, may be able, by her intercession, to conduct to a prosperous issue the great affair of our eternal salvation. St. James, a doctor of the Greek Church, says that God destined Mary as a bridge of salvation, by using which we might with safety pass over the stormy sea of this world and reach the happy haven of paradise. Therefore, St. Bonaventure exclaims, Give ear, O ye nations, and all you who desire heaven, serve, honor Mary, and certainly you will find eternal life. Nor should those even who have deserved hell be in the least doubtful as to obtaining heaven, provided they are faithful in serving this queen. Oh, how many sinners, says St. Germanus, have found God and have been saved by thy means, O Mary. Richard of St. Lawrence remarks that St. John in the Apocalypse says that Mary was crowned with stars, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. On the other hand, in the sacred canticles, she is said to be crowned with wild beasts, lions, and leopards. Come from Libanus, my spouse, come from Libanus, come, thou shalt be crowned from the dens of the lions, from the mountains of the leopards. How is this? He answers that these wild beasts are sinners who, by the favor and intercession of Mary, have become stars of paradise better adapted to the head of this Queen of Mercy than all the material stars of heaven. We read in the life of the servant of God, Sister Serafina of Capri, that once during the novena of the Assumption of Mary, she asked our Blessed Lady for the conversion of a thousand sinners, but afterwards thought that she had asked too much, and then the Blessed Virgin appeared to her and corrected her for her ungrounded anxiety, saying, why dost thou fear? Is it that I am not sufficiently powerful to obtain from my son the conversion of a thousand sinners? See, I have already obtained the favor. With these words, she took her in spirit to heaven, and there showed her innumerable souls which had deserved hell, but had been saved through her intercession, and were already enjoying eternal happiness. It is true that in this world no one can be certain of his salvation. Man knoweth not whether he be worthy of love or hatred, says Ecclesiasticus. 
But St. Bonaventure, on the words of King David, Lord, who shall dwell in thy tabernacle? And on the preceding quotation, answers, Sinners, let us follow Mary closely, and casting ourselves at her feet, let us not leave them until she has blessed us, for her blessing will ensure our salvation. It suffices, O lady, says St. Anselm, that thou willest it, and our salvation is certain. And St. Antoninus says that souls protected by Mary, and on which she casts her eyes, are necessarily justified and saved. With reason, therefore, observes St. Idelphonsus, did the Most Holy Virgin predict that all generations would call her blessed, for all the elect obtain eternal salvation through the means of Mary. And thou, O great mother, says St. Methodius, art the beginning, the middle, and the end of our happiness. The beginning, for Mary obtains us the pardon of our sins. The middle, for she obtains us perseverance in divine grace. And the end, for she finally obtains us heaven. By thee, O Mary, was heaven opened, says St. Bernard. By thee was hell emptied. By thee was paradise restored. And through thee, in fine, is eternal life given to so many miserable creatures who deserved eternal death. But that which above all should encourage us to hope with confidence for heaven is the beautiful promise made by Mary herself to all who honor her, and especially to those who, by word and example, endeavor to make her known and honored by others. They that work by me shall not sin. They that explain me shall have life everlasting. O happy they who obtain the favor of Mary, exclaimed St. Bonaventure. They will be recognized by the blessed as their companions, and whoever bears the stamp of a servant of Mary is already enrolled in the book of life. Why, then, should we trouble ourselves about the opinions of scholastics as to whether predestination to glory precedes or follows the provision of merits? If we are true servants of Mary and obtain her protection, most certainly we shall be inscribed in the book of life. For, says St. John Damascene, God only grants devotion towards his most holy mother to those whom he will save. This is also clearly expressed by our Lord in St. John. He that shall overcome, I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God. And who but Mary is this city of God? Observes St. Gregory on the words of David, Glorious things are said of thee, O city of God. Correctly, then, can we here say with St. Paul, Having this seal, the Lord knoweth who are his. That is to say, whoever carries with him the mark of devotion to Mary is recognized by God as his. Hence, St. Bernard writes that devotion to the mother of God is a most certain mark of eternal salvation. Blessed Alan, speaking of the Hail Mary, also says that whoever often honors the Blessed Lady with this angelical sal salutation has a very great mark of predestination. He says the same thing of perseverance in the daily recital of the rosary, that those who do so have a very great assurance of salvation. Father Nirenberg says in the tenth chapter of his book on affection for Mary 
that the servants of the Mother of God are not only privileged and favored in this world, but even in heaven they are more particularly honored. He then adds that in heaven they will be recognized as servants of its queen and as belonging to her court by a distinguishing and richer garment. According to the words of Proverbs, all her domestics are clothed with double garments. St. Mary Magdalene of Pazzi saw a vessel in the midst of the sea. In it were all the clients of Mary, and this blessed mother herself steered it safely into the port. By this the saint understood that those who live under the protection of Mary are secure in the midst of the dangers of this life from the shipwreck of sin and from eternal damnation, for she guides them safely into the haven of salvation. Let us then enter this blessed ship of the mantle of Mary, and there we can be certain of the kingdom of heaven. For the church says, O holy mother of God, all those who will be partakers of eternal happiness dwell in thee, living under thy protection. The Glories of Mary will continue on the next tape. is all-powerful by nature, the mother is all-powerful in so far that by the merciful disposition of God she is our mediatrix of graces with Christ. Therefore, says Edmer, frequently our petitions are heeded sooner when we address ourselves to Mary, the Queen of Mercy and Compassion, than when we go directly to Jesus, who as King of Justice is our Judge. Prayer O Queen of Heaven, Mother of Holy Love, since Thou art the most amiable of creatures, the most beloved of God, and His greatest lover, be pleased to allow the most miserable sinner living in this world, who, having by Thy means been delivered from hell, and without any merit on his part, been so benefited by Thee, and who is filled with love for Thee, to love Thee. I would desire, were it in my power, to let all men who know thee not know how worthy thou art of love, that all might love and honor thee. I would desire to die for the love of thee, in defense of thy virginity, of thy dignity of mother of God, of thy immaculate conception, should this be necessary to uphold these thy great privileges. Ah, my most beloved mother, accept this my ardent desire, and never allow a servant of thine who loves thee to become the enemy of thy God, whom thou lovest so much. Alas, poor me, I was so for a time when I offended my Lord. But then, O Mary, I loved thee but little, and strove but little to be beloved by thee. But now there is nothing that I so much desire after the grace of God as to love and be loved by thee. I am not discouraged on account of my past sins, for I know that Thou, O most benign and gracious Lady, dost not disdain to love even the most wretched sinners who love Thee, nay more, that Thou never allowest Thyself to be surpassed by any in love. Ah, Queen, most worthy of love, I desire to love Thee in heaven, 
There at thy feet I shall better know how worthy thou art of love, how much thou hast done to save me, and thus I shall love thee with greater love, and love thee eternally, without fear of ever ceasing to love thee. O oh Mary, I hope most certainly to be saved by thy means. Pray to Jesus for me. Nothing else is needed. Thou hast to save me. Thou art my hope. I will therefore always sing, O Mary, my hope. Thou hast to save me. Chapter 9 O Merciful, O Pious Clemency and Compassion of Mary How great are the clemency and compassion of Mary! St. Bernard, speaking of the great compassion of Mary towards us poor sinners, says, that she is the land overflowing with milk and honey promised by God. Hence, St. Leo observes that the Blessed Virgin has so merciful a heart that she deserves not only to be called merciful, but mercy itself. St. Bonaventure, also considering that Mary was made mother of God on account of the miserable, and that to her is committed the charge of dispensing mercy, considering, moreover, the tender care she takes of all, and that her compassion is so great that she seems to have no other desire than that of relieving the needy, says that when he looks at her, he seems no longer to see the justice of God, but only the divine mercy of which Mary is full. O lady, when I behold thee, I can only discern mercy, for thou wast made mother of God for the wretched, and then thou wast instructed with their charge. Thou art all solitude for them. Thou art walled in with mercy. Thy only wish is to show it. In fine, the compassion of Mary is so great towards us that the abbot Guerrick says that her loving heart can never remain a moment without bringing forth its fruits of tenderness. And what, exclaims St. Bernard, can ever flow from a source of compassion but compassion itself? Mary is also called an olive tree, as a fair olive tree on the plains. For as the olive, oil, a symbol of mercy, alone is extracted, so from the hands of Mary, graces and mercy alone proceed. Hence the venerable father Louis de Pont says that Mary may properly be called the mother of oil, since she is the mother of mercy. And thus, when we go to this good mother for the oil of her mercy, we cannot fear that she will deny it to us, as the wise virgins in the gospel did to the foolish ones, lest perhaps there be not enough for us and for you. Oh, no, for she is indeed rich in this oil of mercy. As St. Bonaventure assures us, Mary is filled with the oil of compassion. She is called by the church not only a prudent virgin, but most prudent, that we may understand, says Hugo of St. Victor, that she is so full of grace and compassion that she can supply all without losing any herself. Thou, O blessed Virgin, art full of grace, and indeed so full that the whole world may draw of this overflowing oil. For if the prudent virgins provided oil in vessels with their lamps, thou, O most prudent Virgin, hast borne an overflowing and inexhaustible vessel from which the oil of mercy streaming, thou replenishest the lamps of all. 
But why, I ask, is this beautiful olive tree said to stand in the midst of the plains, and not rather in the midst of a garden, surrounded by a wall and hedges? The same Hugo of St. Victor tells us that it is that all may see her, that all may go to her for refuge, that all may see her easily, and as easily have recourse to her, to obtain remedies for all their ills. This beautiful explanation is confirmed by St. Antoninus, who says that all can go to and gather the fruit of an olive tree that is exposed in the midst of a plain, and thus all, both just and sinners, can have recourse to Mary to obtain her mercy. He then adds, Oh, how many sentences of condemnation has not this most blessed virgin revoked by her compassionate prayers in favor of sinners who have had recourse to her? And what safer refuge, says the devout Thomas A. Kempis, can we ever find than the compassionate heart of Mary? There the poor find a home, the infirm a remedy, the afflicted relief, the doubtful counsel, and the abandoned succor. Wretched indeed should we be, had we not this mother of mercy always attentive and solicitous to relieve us in our wants. Where there is no woman, he mourneth that is in want, says the Holy Ghost. This woman, says St. Don Damascene, is precisely the most blessed Virgin Mary. And wherever this most holy woman is not, the sick man groans. And surely it cannot be otherwise, since all graces are dispensed at the prayer of Mary. And where this is wanting, there can be no hope of mercy, as our Lord gave St. Bridget to understand in these words. Unless the prayers of Mary interposed, there could be no hope of mercy. But perhaps we fear that Mary does not see or does not feel for our necessities. Oh, no, she sees and feels them far better than we do ourselves. There is not one amongst all the saints, says St. Antoninus, who can ever feel for us in our miseries, both corporal and spiritual, like this woman, the most blessed Virgin Mary. So much so that there where she sees misery, she cannot do otherwise than instantly fly and relieve it with her tender compassion. Richard of St. Victor repeats the same thing, and Mendoza says, Therefore, O most blessed Virgin, thou dispensest thy mercies with a generous hand wherever thou seest necessities. Our good mother herself protests that she will never cease to fulfill this office of mercy. And unto the world to come I shall not cease to be, and in the holy dwelling place I have ministered before him. That is, as Cardinal Hugo explains, I will never cease until the end of the world relieving the miseries of men and praying for sinners, that they may be delivered from eternal misery and be saved. Suetonius relates that the Emperor Titus was so desirous of rendering service to those who applied to him that when a day passed without being able to grant a favor, he used to say with sorrow, I have lost a day, for I have spent it without benefiting any one. It is probable that Titus spoke thus more from vanity and the desire of being esteemed than from true charity. But should such a thing happen to our Empress Mary as to have a day pass without granting a grace, 
she would speak as Titus did, but from a true desire to serve us, and because she is full of charity. So much so indeed, says St. Bernardine de Bustis, that she is more anxious to grant us graces than we are to receive them. And therefore, says the same author, whenever we go to her, we always find her hands filled with mercy and liberality. Rebecca was a figure of Mary, and she, when asked by Abraham's servant for a little water to drink, replied that not only would she grant him plenty for himself, but also for his camels, saying, I will draw water for thy camels also, till they all drink. On these words, St. Bernard addresses our Blessed Lady, saying, O Mary, thou art far more liberal and compassionate than Rebecca, and therefore thou art not satisfied with distributing the treasures of thy immense mercy only to the just, of whom Abraham's servants were types, but also thou bestowest them on sinners who are signified by the camels. The liberality of Mary, says Richard of St. Lawrence, is like that of her son, who always gives more than he is asked for. He is, says St. Paul, rich unto all that call upon him, and the liberality of Mary is like his. She bestows more than is sought. Hear how a devout writer thus addresses the Blessed Virgin. O Lady, do thou pray for me, for thou wilt ask for the graces I require with greater devotion than I can dare ask for them, and thou wilt obtain far greater graces from God for me than I can presume to seek. When the Samaritans refused to receive Jesus Christ and his doctrines, St. James and St. John asked him whether they should command fire to fall from heaven and devour them. Our Lord replied, You know not of what spirit you are. As if he had said, I am of so tender and compassionate a spirit that I came from heaven to save and not to chastise sinners, and you wish to seek them lost, fire indeed, and punishment. Speak no more of chastisements, for such a spirit is not mine. But of Mary, whose spirit is the same as that of her son, we can never doubt that she is all inclined to mercy. For, as she said to St. Bridget, she is called the Mother of Mercy, and it was by God's own mercy that she was made thus compassionate and sweet towards all. I am called the Mother of Mercy, and truly God's mercy has made me thus merciful. For this reason, Mary was seen by St. John clothed with the sun, and a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun. On which words St. Bernard, turning towards the Blessed Virgin, says, Thou, O Lady, hast clothed the Son, that is, the eternal Word, with human flesh, but He has clothed thee with His power and mercy. This Queen, continues the same St. Bernard, is so compassionate and benign that when a sinner, whoever he may be, recommends himself to her charity, she does not question his merits, or whether he is worthy or unworthy to be attended to, but she hears and succors all. And therefore, remarks St. Edelbert, Mary is said to be fair as the moon. For as the moon enlightens and benefits the lowest creatures on earth, so does Mary enlighten and succor the most unworthy sinners. And though the moon, says another writer, 
receives all its lights from the sun, yet it works quicker than the sun. For what this latter does in a year, the moon does in a month. For this reason, St. Anselm says that we often more quickly obtain what we ask by calling on the name of Mary than by invoking that of Jesus. On this subject, Hugo of St. Victor remarks that though our sins may cause us to fear to approach the Almighty because it is His infinite majesty that we have offended, we must never fear to go to Mary, for in her we shall find nothing to terrify us. True it is that she is holy, immaculate, and the queen of the world, but she is also of our flesh, and, like us, a child of Adam. In fine, says St. Bernard, all that belongs to Mary is filled with grace and mercy, for she, as a mother of mercy, has made herself all to all, and out of her most abundant charity she has made herself a debtor to the wise and the foolish, to the just and sinners and opens to all her compassionate heart, that all may receive of the fullness of its treasures. So much so, that as the devil, according to St. Peter, goes about seeking whom he may devour, so, on the other hand, says St. Bernardine de Bustis, does Mary go about seeking whom she may save, and to whom she may give life. We should fully understand, and always bear in mind, a remark of St. Germanus, who says that the protection of Mary is greater and more powerful than anything of which we can form an idea. How is it, asks another writer, that our Lord, who is under the old dispensation, was so rigorous in his punishments, now shows such mercy to persons guilty of far greater crimes? And he answers that it is all for the love of Mary and account of her merits. Oh, how long since exclaims St. Fulgentius, would the world have been destroyed had not Mary sustained it by her powerful intercession. But now, says Arnold of Chartres, that we have the Son as our mediator with the Eternal Father and the Mother as a mediatress with the Son, we have full access and can go to God with entire confidence and hope for every good thing. How, he goes on to say, can the Father refuse to hear the Son who shows him his side and wounds, the marks of his sufferings endured for sinners? And how can the son refuse to hear his mother when she shows him her bosom and the breasts that gave him suck? St. Peter Chrysogolus says that a gentle maiden, having lodged a god in her womb, asks as its price peace for the world, salvation for those who are lost, and life for the dead. Oh, how many, exclaims the abbot of Celis, who deserve to be condemned by the justice of the Son, are saved by the mercy of the Mother, for she is God's treasure and the treasurer of all graces. And thus our salvation is in her hands and depends on her. Let us then always have recourse to this compassionate Mother and confidently hope for salvation through her intercession, for she, according to the encouraging assurance of Bernardine de Bustis, is our salvation, our life, our hope, our counsel, our refuge, our help. Mary, says St. Antoninus, is that throne of grace to which the Apostle St. Paul, in his epistle to the Hebrews, exhorts us to fly with confidence, 
that we may obtain the divine mercy and all the help we need for our salvation. Let us therefore go with confidence to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace in seasonable aid. To the throne of grace, that is, to Mary, says St. Antoninus, and for this reason St. Catherine of Siena called Mary the dispenser of divine mercy. Let us conclude with the beautiful and tender exclamation of St. Bonaventure on these words, O merciful, O compassionate, O sweet Virgin Mary. O Mary, thou art clement with the miserable, compassionate towards those who pray to thee, sweet towards those who love thee, clement with the penitent, compassionate to those who advance, sweet to the perfect. Thou showest thyself clement in delivering us from chastisement, compassionate in bestowing graces, and sweet in giving thyself to those who seek thee. Example In the life of Father Anthony de Colelli, we find the following occurrence narrated. A certain unfortunate woman was having illicit relations with two young men. One of these, prompted by jealousy, stabbed the other to death. Very much frightened by what had happened, the sinful woman went to confession to Father Onofrius. She related the following. After the murder, the unfortunate man appeared to her all black, bound in chains and surrounded by flames. He held a sword in his hand with which he attempted to kill her. Trembling with fear, she cried out, Why do you wish to kill me? What have I done to you? The man, filled with rage, replied, What, you wretch, you ask me what you have done? It is your fault that I lost my God. Immediately the woman called on the Blessed Virgin to help her, and at the sound of the name of Mary, the apparition vanished. Prayer O Mother of Mercy, since thou art so compassionate and hast so great a desire to render service to us poor creatures and to grant our requests, behold, I, the most miserable of all men, have now recourse to thy compassion, in order that thou mayest grant me what I ask. Others may ask what they please of thee, bodily health and earthly goods and advantages, but I come, O lady, to ask thee for that which thou desirest of me, and which is most in conformity and agreeable to thy most sacred heart. Thou art so humble. Obtain for me humility and love of contempt. Thou wast so patient under the sufferings of this life. Obtain for me patience in trials. Thou wast all filled with the love of God. Obtain for me the gift of his pure and holy love. Thou wast all love towards thy neighbor. Obtain for me the charity towards all, and particularly towards those who are in any way my enemies. Thou wast entirely united to the divine will. Obtain for me entire conformity to the will of God in whatever way he may be pleased to dispose of me. Thou, in fine, art the most holy of all creatures. Mary, make me a saint. Love for me is not wanting on thy part. Thou canst do all, and thou hast the will to obtain me all. 
the only thing then that can prevent me from receiving thy graces is either neglect on my part in having recourse to thee or little confidence in thy intercession but these two things thou must obtain for me these two greatest graces i ask from thee from thee i must obtain them from thee i hope for them with the greatest of confidence o mary my mother mary my hope my love my life my refuge my help and my consolation amen chapter 10 o sweet virgin mary the sweetness of the name of mary during life and at death the great name of mary which was given to the divine mother did not come to her from her parents nor was it given to her by the mind or will of man as is the case with all other names that are imposed in this world but it came from heaven and was given her by a divine ordinance this is attested by saint jerome saint epiphanus saint antoninus and others the name of mary came from the treasury of the divinity says saint peter damien ah yes o mary it was from that treasury that thy high and admirable name came forth for the most blessed trinity says richard of saint lawrence bestowed on thee a name above every other name after that of thy son and ennobled it with such majesty and power that he willed that all heaven earth and hell on only hearing it should fall down and venerate it but i will give the author's own words the whole trinity o mary gave thee a name after that of thy son above every other name that in thy name every knee should bow of things in heaven on earth and under the earth but, among but amongst the other privileges of the name of mary and which were given to it by god we will now examine that of the peculiar sweetness found in it by the servants of this most holy lady during life and in death and, and in this first place speaking of the course of our life the holy anchorite honorius used to say that this name of mary is filled with every sweetness and divine savor so much so that the glorious saint anthony of padua found the same sweetness in the name of mary that saint bernard found in that of jesus name of jesus exclaimed the one o name of mary replied the other joy in the heart honey in the mouth melody into the ear of her devout clients it is, it is narrated in the life of venerable father juvenal ancia bishop of saluzzo that in pronouncing the name of mary he tasted so great and sensible a sweetness that after doing so he licked his lips we read also that a lady at cologne told the bishop Massilius that as often as she uttered the name of mary she experienced a taste far sweeter than honey the bishop imitated her and experienced the same thing we gather from the sacred canticles that on the assumption of our blessed lady the angels asked her name three times who is it that goeth up by the desert as a pillar of smoke again who is it that cometh forth as the morning rising and again who is it that cometh up from the desert flowing with delights and why says richard of st lawrence do the angels so often ask the name of their queen he answers that it, that it was so sweet even to the angels to hear it pronounced 
that they desired to hear that sweet name in reply. But here I do not intend to speak of that sensible sweetness, for it is not granted to all. I speak of that salutary sweetness of consolation, of love, of joy, of confidence, of strength, which the name of Mary ordinarily brings to those who pronounce it with devotion. The abbot Franconi, speaking on this subject, says, There is no other name after that of the Son, in heaven or on earth, whence pious minds derive so much grace, hope, and sweetness. After the most sacred name of Jesus, the name of Mary is so rich in every good thing that on earth and in heaven there is no other from which devout souls receive so much grace, hope, and sweetness. For, he continues, there is something so admirable, sweet, and divine in this name of Mary that when it meets with friendly hearts it breathes into them an odor of delightful sweetness. And he adds in conclusion that the wonder of this great name is that if heard by the lovers of Mary a thousand times, it is always heard again with renewed pleasure, for they always experience that same sweetness each time it is pronounced. Blessed Henry Suso, also speaking of this sweetness, says that when he named Mary, he felt himself so excited to confidence and inflamed with such love and joy that between the tears and joy with which he pronounced the beloved name, he desired that his heart might leave his breast, for he declared that this most sweet name was like a honeycomb dissolving in the inmost recesses of the soul. Then he would exclaim, O most sweet name! O Mary, what must thou thyself be, since thy name alone is thus amiable and gracious? The enamored St. Bernard, raising his heart to his good mother, says with tenderness, O great, O pious, O thou art worthy of all praise, O most holy Virgin Mary. Thy, thy name, name is so sweet and amiable that it cannot be pronounced without inflaming those who do so with love towards thee and God. It only need occur to the thought of thy lovers to move them to love thee more and to console them. Thou canst not be named without inflaming, thou canst not be thought of by those who love thee without filling their minds with joy. And if, and if riches comfort the poor because they relieve them in their distress, oh, how much more does thy name, O Mary, says Richard of St. Lawrence, comfort us than any earthly riches. It comforts us in the anguishes of this life. Thy name, O Mary, is far better than riches, because it can better relieve poverty. In fine, thy name, O Mother of God, is filled with divine graces and blessings, as St. Methodius says, so much so that St. Bonaventure declares that thy name, O Mary, cannot be pronounced without bringing some grace to him who does so devoutly. The blessed Raymond Hordano says that however hardened and diffident a heart may be, the name of this most blessed virgin has such efficacy that if it is only pronounced, that heart will be wonderfully softened. I will, however, give his own words. The power, the power of thy most holy name, O ever-blessed Virgin Mary, is such that it softens the hardness of the human heart in a wonderful manner. He then tells us that it is she who leads sinners to the hope of pardon and grace. 
By thee does the sinner recover the hope of forgiveness and of grace. Thy most sweet name, O Mary, according to St. Ambrose, is a precious ointment which breathes forth the odor of divine grace. The saint then prays to the Divine Mother, saying, Let this ointment of salvation enter the inmost recesses of our souls. That is, grant, O Lady, that we may often remember to name thee with love and confidence, for this practice either shows the possession of divine grace, or else is a pledge that we shall soon recover it. And truly it is so, O Mary, for the remembrance of thy name comforts the afflicted, recalls those who have erred to the way of salvation, and encourages sinners that they may not abandon themselves to despair. It is thus that Ludolf of Saxony addresses her. Father Pelbart says that as Jesus Christ by his five wounds gave a remedy for the evils of this world, so also does Mary by her most holy name, which is composed of five letters, daily bring pardon to sinners. For this reason is the holy name of Mary likened in the sacred canticles to oil. Thy name is as oil poured out, on these words, Blessed Allen says that the glory of her name is compared to oil poured out, because oil heals the sick, sends out a sweet odor, and nourishes flames. Thus also does the name of Mary heal sinners, rejoice hearts, and inflame them with divine love. Hence, Richard of St. Lawrence encourages sinners to have recourse to this great name, because it alone will suffice to cure them of all their evils. And there is no disorder, however malignant, that does not immediately yield to the power of the name of Mary. On the other hand, Thomas A. Kempis affirms that the devils fear the Queen of Heaven to such a degree that only on hearing her great name pronounced, they fly, they fly from him who does so as from a burning fire. The Blessed Virgin herself revealed to St. Bridget that there is not on earth a sinner, however devoid he may be of the love of God, from whom the devil is not obliged immediately to fly, if he invokes her holy name with a determination to repent. On another occasion she repeated the same thing to the saint, saying that all the devils venerate and fear her name to such a degree that on hearing it they immediately loosen the claws with which they hold the soul captive. Our Blessed Lady also told St. Bridget that in the same way as the rebel angels fly from sinners who invoke the name of Mary, so also do the good angels approach nearer to just souls who pronounce her name with devotion. St. Germanus declares that as breathing is a sign of life, so also is the frequent pronunciation of the name of Mary a sign either of the life of divine grace or that it will soon come. For this powerful name has in it the virtue of obtaining help and life from him who invokes it devoutly. Addressing the Blessed Virgin, he says, As breathing is a sign of life in the body, so is the frequent repetition of thy most holy name, O Virgin, by thy servants, not only a sign of life and of strength, but also it procures and conciliates both. In fine, this admirable name of our Sovereign Lady, says Richard of St. Lawrence, is like a fortified tower in which, if a sinner takes refuge, he will be delivered from death, 
for it defends and saves even the most abandoned. But it is a tower of strength which not only delivers sinners from chastisement, but also defends the just from the assaults of hell. Thus the same Richard says that after the name of Jesus there is no other in which men find so powerful assistance and salvation as in the great name of Mary. He says there is not so powerful help in any name nor is there any other name given to men after that of Jesus from which so much salvation is poured forth upon men as from the name of Mary. Moreover, it is well known and is daily experienced by the clients of Mary that her powerful name gives the particular strength necessary to overcome temptations against purity. The same author, in his commentary on the words of St. Luke, and the Virgin's name was Mary, remarks that these two words, Mary and Virgin, are joined together by the evangelist to denote that the name of this most pure virgin should always be coupled with the virtue of chastity. Hence, St. Peter Catholicus says that the name of Mary is an indication of chastity, meaning that when we doubt as to whether we have consented to thoughts against this virtue, if we remember having invoked the name of Mary, we have a certain proof that we have not sinned. Let us, therefore, always take advantage of the beautiful advice given us by St. Bernard in these words, in dangers, in perplexities, in doubtful cases, think of Mary, call on Mary, let her not leave thy lips, let her not depart from thy heart. In every danger of forfeiting divine grace, we should think of Mary and invoke her name together with that of Jesus, for these two names always go together. Oh, then, never let us permit these two most sweet names to leave our hearts or be off our lips for they will give us strength not only not to yield, but to conquer all our temptations. Consoling indeed are the promises of help made by Jesus Christ to those who have devotion to the name of Mary. For one day, in the hearing of St. Bridget, he promised his most holy mother that he would grant three special graces to those who invoke that holy name with confidence. First, that he would grant them perfect sorrow for their sins, Secondly, that their crimes should be atoned for. And thirdly, that he would give them strength to attain perfection and at length the glory of paradise. And then our divine Savior added, For thy, for thy words, O my mother, are so sweet and agreeable to me that I cannot deny what thou askest. St. Ephraim goes so far as to say that the name of Mary is the key of the gates of heaven in the hands of those who devoutly invoke it. And thus it is not without reason that St. Bonaventure says that Mary is the salvation of all who call upon her, for he addresses her, saying, O salvation of all who invoke thee, meaning that to obtain eternal salvation and invoke her name are synonymous. And Richard of St. Lawrence affirms that the devout invocation of this sweet and holy name leads to the acquisition of superabundant graces in this life and a very high degree of glory in the next. If then, O brethren, concludes Thomas A. Kempis, you desire consolation in every labor, have recourse to Mary, invoke the name of Mary, honor Mary, recommend yourselves to Mary, rejoice with Mary, weep with Mary, pray with Mary, walk with Mary, 
seek Jesus with Mary. In fine, desire to live and die with Jesus and Mary. By acting thus, you will always advance in the ways of God, for Mary will most willingly pray for you, and the Son will most certainly grant all that his mother asks. Thus we see that the most holy name of Mary is sweet indeed to her clients during life, on account of the very great graces that she obtains for them. But sweeter still it will it be to them in death, on account of the tranquil and holy end that it will ensure for them. Father Sertorius Caputo of the Society of Jesus exhorted all who assist the dying frequently to pronounce the name of Mary, for this name of life and hope, when repeated at the hour of death, suffices to put the devils to flight and to comfort such persons in their sufferings. The invocation of the sacred names of Jesus and Mary, says Thomas A. Kempis, is a short prayer which is as sweet to the mind and as powerful to protect those who use it against the enemies of their salvation, as it is easy to remember. Blessed is the man who loves thy name, O Mary, exclaimed St. Bonaventure. Yes, truly blessed is he who loves thy sweet name, O Mother of God. For, he continues, thy name is so glorious and admirable that no one who remembers it has any fears at the hour of death. Such is its power that none of those who invoke it at the hour of death fear the assaults of their enemies. Oh, that we may end our lives as did the Capuchin father, Salgentius of Ascoli, who expired singing, O Mary, O Mary, the most beautiful of creatures, let us depart together. Or, according to the annals of the order, like blessed Henry the Cistercian, who expired in the very moment that he was pronouncing the most sweet name of Mary. Let us then, O devout reader, beg God to grant us that at death the name of Mary may be the last word on our lips. This was the prayer of St. Germanius. May the last moment of my tongue be to pronounce the name of the Mother of God. O sweet, O safe is that death which is accompanied and protected by so saving a name. For God only grants the grace of invoking it to those whom he is about to save. O my sweet lady and mother, I love thee much, and because I love thee, I also love thy holy name. I propose and hope with thy assistance always to invoke it during life and at death and to conclude with the tender prayer of St. Bonaventure, I ask thee, O Mary, for the glory of thy name, to come and meet my soul when it is departing from this world, and to take it in thine arms. Disdain not, O Mary, the saint continues, to come then and comfort me with thy presence. Be thyself my soul's ladder and the way to heaven. Do thou thyself obtain for it the grace of forgiveness and eternal repose. He then concludes saying, O Mary, our advocate, it is for thee to defend thy clients and to undertake their cause before the tribunal of Jesus Christ. We will continue on the next side of the tape. We now continue with the glories of Mary.
by St. Alphonsus de Liguri. Example St. Camillus de Lalis urged the members of his community to remind the dying often to utter the holy name of Jesus and Mary. Such was his custom when assisting people in their last hour. When he himself came to die, he gave an edifying example of confidence in the holy names. His biographer relates that when death was approaching, the saint invoked the sweet names of Jesus and Mary with such tender devotion that all present were inflamed with love for the sacred names. With his, with his eyes fixed on the images of Jesus and Mary, and his arms crossed on his breast, an expression of heavenly peace rested on his face when his soul took its flight. His last words were the sacred names of Jesus and Mary. Prayer O great Mother of God and my mother Mary, it is true that I am unworthy to name thee, but thou, who lovest me and desirest my salvation, must, notwithstanding the impurity of my tongue, grant that I may always invoke thy most holy and powerful name in my aid, for thy name is the succor of the living and the salvation of the dying. Ah, most pure Mary, most sweet Mary, grant that henceforth thy name may be the breath of my life. O Lady, delay not to help me when I invoke thee, for in all the temptations which assail me, and in all my wants, I will never cease calling upon thee, and repeating again and again, Mary, Mary. Thus it is that I hope to act during my life, and more particularly at death, that after that last struggle I may eternally praise thy beloved name in heaven, O clement, O pious, O sweet Virgin Mary. Ah, Mary, most amiable Mary, with what consolation, what sweetness, what confidence, what tenderness is thy soul penetrated in only naming, in only thinking of thee. I thank my Lord and God, who, for my good, has given thee a name so sweet and deserving of love, and at the same time so powerful. But, my Sovereign Lady, I am not satisfied with only naming thee. I wish to name thee with love. I desire that my love may every hour remind me to call on thee, so that I may be able to exclaim with St. Bonaventure, O name of the Mother of God, Thou art my love. My own dear Mary, O my beloved Jesus, may Your most sweet names reign in my heart and in all hearts. Grant that I may forget all others to remember and always invoke Your adorable names alone. Ah, Jesus, my Redeemer, and Mary, my Mother, when the moment of death comes, when I must breathe forth my soul and leave this world, deign through your merits to grant that I may pronounce my last words and that they may be I love thee O Jesus I love thee O Mary to you do I give my heart and my soul beautiful and fervent prayers addressed by the various saints to the Divine Mother these prayers are put here not only that they may be used but also that they may show the high idea that the saints had of the power and mercy of Mary and the great confidence they had in her patronage. Prayer of St. Ephraim O Immaculate and Entirely Pure Virgin Mary, Mother of God, Queen of the Universe, 
our own good lady. Thou art above all the saints, the only hope of the patriarchs, and the joy of the saints. Through thee we have been reconciled with our God. Thou art the only advocate of sinners, and the secure haven of those who are sailing on the sea of this life. Thou art the consolation of the world, the ransom of captives, the joy of the sick, the comfort of the afflicted, the refuge, the salvation of the whole world. O great princess, mother of God, cover us with the wings of thy mercy, and pity us. We hope only in thee, O most pure virgin. We are given to thee, and consecrated to thy service. We bear the name of thy servants. O then, permit not that Lucifer should drag us to hell. O Immaculate Virgin, we are under thy protection, and therefore, unitedly, we have recourse to thee, and we beseech thee to prevent thy beloved Son, who is irritated by our sins, from abandoning us to the power of the devil. O thou who art full of grace, enlighten my understanding, loosen my tongue, that it may sing thy praises, and more particularly the angelic salutation so worthy of thee. I salute thee, O peace, O joy, O consolation of the whole world. I salute thee, O greatest of miracles, O paradise of delights, secure haven of those who are in danger, fountain of graces, mediatress between God and men. Prayer of St. Bernard We raise our eyes to thee, O Queen of the world. We must appear before our judge after so many sins. Who will appease him? No one can do it better than thou canst, O holy lady, who hast loved him so much, and by whom thou art so tenderly beloved. Open then, O Mother of Mercy, thy heart to our sighs and prayers. We fly to thy protection. Appease the wrath of thy Son, and restore us to his grace. Thou dost not abhor a sinner, however loathsome he may be. Thou dost not despise him, if he sends up his sighs to thee, and repentant asks thy intercession. Thou, with thy compassionate hand, deliverest him from despair. Thou animatest him to hope, and dost not leave him until thou hast reconciled him with his judge. Thou art that chosen lady in whom our Lord found repose, and in whom he has deposited all his treasures without measure. Hence the whole world, O my most holy lady, honors thy chaste womb as the temple of God in which the salvation of the world began. In thee was effected the reconciliation between God and man. Thou, O great mother of God, art the enclosed garden into which the hand of a sinner never entered to gather its flowers. Thou art the beautiful garden in which God has planted all the flowers that adorn the church, and amongst others the violet of thy humility, the lily of thy purity, the rose of thy charity. With whom can we compare thee, O Mother of grace and beauty? Thou art the paradise of God. From thee issued forth the fountain of the living water that irrigates the whole world. Oh, how many benefits thou hast bestowed on the world by meriting to be so salutary a channel! Of thee it is that the question is asked, 
Who is she that cometh forth like the morning rising, fair as the moon, bright as the sun? Thou camest then into the world, O Mary, as a resplendent dawn, preceding with the light of thy sanctity the coming of the Son of Justice. The day on which thou camest into the world can indeed be called a day of salvation, a day of grace. Thou, thou art fair as the moon, for as amongst all planets the moon it is that is most like the sun, so amongst all creatures thou art the nearest in resemblance to God. The moon illumines the night with the light that it receives from the sun, and thou enlightenest our darkness with the splendor of thy virtues. But thou art fairer than the moon, for in thee there is neither spot nor shadow. Thou art bright as the sun, I mean as the sun that created the sun. He was chosen amongst all men, and thou was chosen amongst all women. O sweet, O great, O all amiable Mary, no heart can pronounce thy name, but thou inflamest it with thy love. Nor can they who love thee think of thee without feeling themselves strengthened to love thee more. O holy lady, help our weakness. And who is more fit to address our Lord Jesus Christ than thou, who enjoyest in such close vicinity his most sweet converse? Speak then, speak, O lady, for thy son listens to thee, and thou wilt obtain all that thou askest of him. Prayer of St. Germanus of Constantinople O my only and sovereign lady, who art the sole consolation that I receive from God, thou who art the only celestial dew that gives me refreshment in my pains, thou who art the light of my soul when it is surrounded with darkness, thou who art my guide in journeyings, my strength in weakness, my treasure in poverty, the balm of my wounds, my consolation in sorrow, thou who art my refuge in miseries and the hope of my salvation, Listen to my prayers. Have pity on me as it becomes the mother of a God who has such love for men. O thou who art our defense and joy, grant me all that I ask. Make me worthy to enjoy with thee the great happiness that thou enjoyest in heaven. Yes, my lady, my refuge, my life, my help, my defense, my strength, my joy, my hope, grant that I may one day be with thee in heaven. I know that, being the mother of God, thou canst, if thou wilt, obtain it for me. O Mary, thou art omnipotent to save sinners, nor needest thou any other recommendation, for thou art the mother of true life. Prayer of Blessed Raymond Giordano, Abbot of Salé Draw me after thee, O Virgin Mary that I may run to the odor of thy ointments. Draw me, for I am held back by the weight of my sins and by the malice of my enemies. As no one goes to the sun unless the Heavenly Father draws him, so do I presume to say in a certain manner that no one goes to him unless thou drawest him by thy holy prayers. It is thou who teachest true wisdom, thou who obtainest grace for sinners, for thou art their advocate. It is thou who promisest glory to him who honors thee, for thou art the treasurer of graces.
Thou, O most sweet virgin, hast found grace with God, for thou was preserved from the stain of original sin, wast filled with the Holy Ghost, and didst conceive the Son of God. Thou, O most humble virgin, didst receive all these graces, not for thyself only, but also for us, that thou mightest assist us in all our necessities. And this thou dost indeed, thou succorest the good, preserving them in grace, and the wicked thou preparest to receive divine mercy. Thou assistest the dying, protecting them against the snares of the devil, and thou helpest them after death, receiving their souls and conducting them to the kingdom of the blessed. Prayer of St. Methodius Thy name, O Mother of God, is filled with all graces and divine blessings. Thou hast contained him who cannot be contained, and nourished him who nourishes all creatures. He who fills heaven and earth, and is Lord of all, was pleased to stand in need of thee, for it was thou who didst clothe him with that flesh which he had not borne before. Rejoice then, O Mother and Handmaid of God, be glad then with exceeding great joy, for thou hast him for thy debtor, who gives their being to all creatures. We are all God's debtors, but he is a debtor to thee. Hence it is, O most holy Mother of God, that thou hast greater goodness and greater charity than all the other saints, and hast freer access to God than any of them, for thou art his mother. Ah, deign, we beseech thee, to remember us in our miseries, who celebrate thy glories, and know how great is thy goodness. Prayer of St. John Damascene I salute thee, O Mary, thou art the hope of Christians. Receive the supplication of a sinner who loves thee tenderly, honors thee in a special manner, and places in thee the whole hope of his salvation. From thee I have my life. Thou dost restore me to the favor of thy Son. Thou art the certain pledge of my salvation. I implore thee, then, deliver me from the burden of my sins. Dispel the darkness of my mind. Banish earthly affections from my heart. Repress the temptations of my enemies. And so rule my whole life, that by thy means and under thy guidance I may attain the eternal happiness of heaven. Prayer of St. Andrew of Crete I salute thee, O full of grace, our Lord is with thee. I salute thee, O cause of our joy, through whom the sentence of our condemnation was revoked and changed into one of blessings. I salute thee, O temple of the glory of God, sacred dwelling of the King of heaven. Thou art the reconciliation of God with men. I salute thee, O mother of our joy. Truly, Truly thou art blessed, for thou alone amongst all women wast found worthy to be the mother of thy Creator. All nations call thee blessed. O Mary, if I place my confidence in thee, I shall be saved. If I am under thy protection, I have nothing to fear, for the fact of being thy client is the possession of a certainty of salvation 
which God only grants to those whom he will save. O Mother of mercy, appease thy beloved Son. Whilst thou was on earth, thou didst occupy only a small part of it, but now that thou art raised above the highest heavens, the whole world considers thee as the propitiatory of all nations. I implore thee then, O Holy Virgin, to grant me the help of thy prayers with God, prayers which are dearer and more precious to us than all the treasures of the earth, prayers which render God propitious to us in our sins, and obtain us a great abundance of graces, both for the pardon of our offenses and the practice of virtue, prayers which check our enemies, confound their designs, and triumph over their strength. Prayer of St. Aldephonsus I come to thee, O Mother of God, and implore thee to obtain for me the pardon of my sins, that I may be cleansed from those of my whole life. I beseech thee to grant me the grace to unite myself in affection to thy Son and to thyself, to thy Son as my God, and to thee as the Mother of my God. Prayer of St. Athanasius Give ear to our prayers, O Most Holy Virgin, and be mindful of us. Dispense unto us the gifts of thy riches and the abundance of the graces with which thou art filled. The archangel saluted thee and called thee full of grace. All nations call thee blessed. The whole hierarchy of heaven blesses thee, and we, who are of the terrestrial hierarchy, also address thee, saying, Hail! O full of grace, our Lord is with thee. Pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, our Lady and our Queen. Prayer of St. Anselm We beseech thee, O Most Holy Lady, by the favor that God did thee in raising thee so high as to make all things possible to thee with him, so to act that the plentitude of grace which thou didst merit may render us partakers of thy glory. Strive, O most merciful lady, to obtain for us that for which God was pleased to become man in thy chaste womb. O lend us a willing ear. If thou deignest to pray to thy son for this, he will immediately grant it. It suffices that thou willest our salvation, and then we are sure to obtain it. But who can restrain thy great mercy? If thou, who art our mother, and the mother of mercy, dost not pity us, what will become of us when thy Son comes to judge us? Help us then, O most compassionate lady, and consider not the multitude of our sins. Remember always that our Creator took human flesh of thee, not to condemn sinners, but to save them. If thou hadst become the mother of God only for thine own advantage, we might say that it signified little to thee whether we were lost or saved. But God clothed himself with thy flesh for thy salvation and for that of all men. What would thy great power and glory avail us if thou dost not make us partakers of thy happiness? O oh, help us then and protect us. Thou knowest how greatly we stand in need of thy assistance. We recommend ourselves to thee. O oh, let us not lose our souls 
but make us eternally serve and love thy beloved Son, Jesus Christ. Prayer of St. Peter Damian Holy Virgin, Mother of God, succor those who implore thy aid. O, o turn towards us. Hast thou perhaps forgotten men because thou hast been raised to so close a union with God? Ah, no, most certainly. Thou knowest well in what danger thou didst leave us and the wretched condition of thy servants. Ah, no, it would not become so great a mercy as thine to forget so great misery as is ours. Turn towards us, then, with thy power, for he who is powerful has made thee omnipotent in heaven and on earth. Nothing is impossible to thee, for thou canst raise even those who are in despair to the hope of salvation. The more powerful thou art, the greater should be thy mercy. Turn also to us in thy love. I know, my lady, that thou art all benign, and that thou lovest us with a love that can be surpassed by no other love. How often dost thou not appease the wrath of our judge when he is on the point of chastising us? All the treasures of the mercies of God are in thy hands. Ah, never cease to benefit us. Thou only seekest occasion to save all the wretched and to shower thy mercies upon them. For thy glory is increased when, by thy means, penitents are forgiven and thus reach heaven. Turn then towards us that we also may be able to go and see thee in heaven. For the greatest glory we can have will be, after seeing God, to see thee, to love thee, to be under thy protection. Be pleased, then, to grant our prayer, for thy beloved Son desires to honor thee by denying thee nothing that thou askest. Prayer of William, Bishop of Paris O Mother of God, I have recourse to Thee, and I call upon Thee not to reject me. For the whole congregation of the faithful calls and proclaims Thee the Mother of Mercy. Thou oh. art that one who, from being so dear to God, art always graciously heard. Thy clemency was never wanting to anyone. Thy most benign affability never despised any sinner who had recourse to Thee, however enormous his crimes. Can it be falsely or in vain that the Church calls thee her advocate and the refuge of sinners? Never let it be said that my sins could prevent thee from fulfilling the great office of mercy, which is peculiarly thine own, by which thou art the advocate and mediatress of peace, the only hope and most secure refuge of the miserable. Never shall it be said that the Mother of God who for the benefit of the world brought forth him who was the fountain of mercy, denied her mercy to any sinner who had recourse to her. Thine office is that of peacemaker between God and men. Let then the greatness of thy compassion, and which far exceeds my sins, move thee to help me. Hymns to Mary, to Mary our Queen, the Mother of Mercy. Look down, O Mother Mary, from thy bright throne above. Cast down upon thy children one only glance of love. And if a heart so tender with pity flows not o'er, then turn away, O Mother, and look on us no more. 
See how ungrateful sinners we stand before thy Son. His loving heart upbraids us the evil we have done. But if thou wilt appease him, speak for us but one word. Thou only canst obtain us the pardon of our Lord. O Mary, dearest mother, if thou wouldst have us live, say that we are thy children, and Jesus will forgive. Our sins make us unworthy, that title still to bear, but thou art still our mother, then show a mother's care. Open to us thy mantle, there stay we without fear. What evil can befall us if, mother, thou art near? O sweetest, dearest mother, thy sinful children save. Look down on us with pity, who thy protection crave. 2. Mary Our Mother by Monsignor Magello When I think o'er my happy lot that, Mary, I am a child of thine, then every sorrow, mother mine, swift vanishes and is forgot. Chosen mother of my God to be, thou still art mine own mother dear, what harm then can I ever fear, sweet Mary, if thou lovest me? One only fear can make me sigh, tis lest I e'er should lose thy love, but while my heart shall faithful prove, living or dying, blessed am I. Deprived of thee, my lovely rose, each joy doth bitter grief appear, but pain is joy if thou wert near, and death itself is sweet repose. From heaven's path he cannot stray, who follows thee his safest guide, to serve thee and in thee confide, is of all good the surest way. O oh, blessed is he whose sole desire is e'er to love thee tenderly, yes, happy he who loveth thee, and feels his heart with love on fire. Then grant to me, my sweetest queen, ever to burn with love of thee, until in heaven I come to see, unveiled, thy loveliest serene. Number three, to Mary our hope. Mary, thou art hope the brightest, love most pure and sweet. Life and peace I find reposing at thy blessed feet. When I call on thee, O Mary, when I think on thee, joy and pleasure all entrancing fill my heart with glee. If anon the clouds of sadness rise within my heart, when I hear thy name, O Mary, straightway they depart. Like a star on life's dark ocean, shining o'er the wave, thou canst guide my bark to harbor, thou my soul canst save. Under thy protecting mantle, queen beloved, I'd fly. There I wish to live securely, there I hope to die. If I chance my life to finish, Mary, loving thee, then I also know, dear lady, heaven is for me. Cast thy gentle bonds around me, and my heart in chain. Prisoner of love forever, safe will I remain. Thus my heart, O sweetest Mary, is not mine, but thine. Take it, give it all to Jesus, ne'er shall it be mine. 4. The Name of Mary Mother Mary, Queen most sweet, joy and love my heart inflame, gladly shall my lips repeat every moment thy dear name. Ah, that name to God so dear has my heart and soul enslaved. 
Like a seal it shall appear deep on heart and soul engraved. When the morning gilds the skies, I will call on Mary's name. When at evening twilight dies, Mary still I will exclaim. Sweetest Mary, bend thine ear. Thou, my own dear mother, art. Therefore shall thy name so dear never from lips depart. If my soul is sore oppressed by a load of anxious care, peace once more will fill my heart when thy name re-echoes there. Waves of doubt disturb my peace, and my heart is faint with fear. At thy name the billows cease, all my terrors disappear. When the demon hosts invade, when temptation rages high, crying, Mother, Mary, aid, I will make the tempter fly. This shall be my comfort sweet when the hand of death is nigh. Mary, Mary, to repeat once again and then to die. It must be observed that this last hymn, The Name of Mary, is not by St. Alphonsus, but by Father Apais, editor. Part the Second Discourses on the Principal Feasts of Mary Discourse One Mary's Immaculate Conception December 8th How befitting it was that each of the three divine persons should preserve Mary from original sin. Great indeed was the injury entailed on Adam and all his posterity by his accursed sin. For at the same time that he thereby for his own great misfortune, lost grace, he also forfeited all the other precious gifts with which he had originally been enriched, and drew down upon himself and all his descendants the hatred of God and the accumulation of evils. But from this general misfortune God was pleased to exempt that blessed virgin whom he had destined to be the mother of the second Adam, Jesus Christ who was to repair the evil done by the first. Now let us see how befitting it was that God and all the three divine persons should thus preserve her from it, that the Father should preserve her as his daughter, the Son as his mother, and the Holy Ghost as his spouse. 1. In the first place, it was befitting that the Eternal Father should preserve Mary from the stain of original sin, because she was his daughter, and his firstborn daughter, as she herself declares. I came out of the mouth of the Most High, the firstborn before all creatures. This text is applied to Mary by sacred interpreters, the Holy Fathers, and by the Church on the solemnity of her conception. For whether she be the firstborn inasmuch as she was predestined in the divine decrees, together with the Son, before all creatures, according to the Scotists, or the firstborn of grace as the predestined mother of the Redeemer, after the prevision of sin according to the Thomists, nevertheless all agree in calling her the firstborn of God. This being the case, it was quite becoming that Mary should never have been the slave of Lucifer, but only and always possessed by her Creator. In this she in reality was, as we are assured by herself, the Lord possessed me in the beginning of his ways. Hence, Dennis of Alexandria rightly calls Mary the one and only daughter of life. 
She is the one and only daughter of life, in contradistinction to others who, being born in sin, are daughters of death. Besides this, it was quite becoming that the Eternal Father should create her in His grace, since He destined her to be the repairer of the lost world, and the mediatress of peace between men and God, and, as such, she is looked upon and spoken of by the Holy Fathers, and in particular by St. John Damascene, who thus addresses her, O Blessed Virgin, thou wast born that thou mightest minister to the salvation of the whole world. For this reason, St. Bernard says that Noah's Ark was a type of Mary, for as by its means men were preserved from the deluge, so are we all saved by Mary from the shipwreck of sin, but with the difference that in the Ark few were saved, and by Mary the whole human race was rescued from death. Therefore, in a sermon found amongst the works of St. Athanasius, she is called the New Eve and the Mother of Life, and not without reason, for the first was the Mother of Death, but the Most Blessed Virgin was the Mother of True Life. St. Theophanius of Nice addresses Mary, saying, Hail, thou who hast taken away Eve's sorrow. St. Basil of Seleucia calls her the peacemaker between men and God. Hail, thou who art appointed umpire between God and men. And St. Ephraim, the peacemaker of the whole world. Hail, reconciler of the whole world. But now it certainly would not be becoming to choose an enemy to treat of peace with the offended person, and still less an accomplice in the crime itself. St. Gregory says that an enemy cannot undertake to appease his judge, who is at the same time the injured party, for if he did, instead of appeasing him, he would provoke him to greater wrath. And therefore, as Mary was to be the mediatress of peace between men and God, it was of the utmost importance that she should not herself appear as a sinner and as an enemy of God, but that she should appear in all things as a friend and free from every stain. Still more was it becoming that God should preserve her from original sin, for he destined her to crush the head of that infernal serpent, which, by seducing our first parents, entailed death upon all men. And this our Lord foretold, I will put enmities between thee and the woman, and thy seed and her seed. She shall crush thy head. But if Mary was to be that valiant woman brought into the world to conquer Lucifer, certainly it was not becoming that he should first conquer her and make her his slave. But it was reasonable that she should be preserved from all stain and even momentary subjection to her opponent. The proud spirit endeavored to infect the most pure soul of this virgin with his venom, as he has already infected the whole human race. But praised and ever blessed be God, who, in his infinite goodness, pre-endowed her for this purpose with such great grace that, remaining always free from any guilt of sin, she was ever able to beat down and confound his pride, as St. Augustine, or whoever may be the author of the commentary on Genesis, says, Since the devil is the head of original sin, this head it was that Mary crushed, for sin never had any entry into the soul of this blessed virgin, 
which was consequently free from all stain. And St. Bonaventure more expressly says, It was becoming that the Blessed Virgin Mary, by whom our shame was to be blotted out, and by whom the devil was to be conquered, should never, even for a moment, have been under his dominion. But above all, it principally became the Eternal Father to preserve this, his daughter, unspotted by Adam's sin, as St. Bernardine of Siena remarks, because he destined her to be the mother of his only begotten Son. Thou wast preordained in the mind of God before all creatures that thou mightest beget God himself as man. If then, for no other end, at least for the honor of his Son, who was God, it was reasonable that the Father should create Mary free from every stain. The angelic St. Thomas says that all things that are ordained for God should be holy and free from stain. Holiness is to be attributed to those things that are ordained for God. Hence, when David was planning the temple of Jerusalem on a scale of magnificence becoming of a god, he said, For a house is prepared not for man, but for God. How much more reasonable, then, is it not to suppose that the sovereign architect, who destined Mary to be the mother of his own son, adorned her soul with all most precious gifts, that she might be a dwelling worthy of a god? Dennis the Carthusian says, that God, the artificer of all things, when constructing a worthy dwelling for his Son, adorned it with all attractive graces. And the Holy Church herself, in the following prayer, assures us that God prepared the body and soul of the Blessed Virgin so as to be a worthy dwelling on earth for his only begotten Son. Almighty and eternal God, who, by the cooperation of the Holy Ghost, didst prepare the body and soul of the glorious Virgin and Mother, Mary, that she might become a worthy habitation for thy Son. We know that a man's highest honor is to be born of noble parents, and the glory of children are their fathers. Hence in the world the reputation of being possessed of only a small fortune and little earning is more easily tolerated than that of being of low birth. For whilst a poor man may become rich by his industry, an ignorant man learned by study, it is very difficult for a person of humble origin to attain the rank of nobility. But even should he attain it, his birth can always be made subject of a reproach for him. How then can we suppose that God, who could cause his son to be born of a noble mother by preserving her from sin, would, on the contrary, permit him to be born of one infected by it, and thus enable Lucifer always to reproach him with the shame of having a mother who had once been his slave and the enemy of God. No, certainly, the Eternal Father did not permit this, but he well provided for the honor of his son by preserving his mother always immaculate, that she might be a mother becoming such a son. The Greek Church bears witness to this, saying that God, by a singular providence, caused the Most Blessed Virgin to be as perfectly pure from the very first moment of her existence as it was fitting that she should be, who was to be worthy Mother of Christ. It is a common axiom amongst theologians that no gift was ever bestowed on any creature with which the Blessed Virgin was not also enriched. 
St. Bernard says on this subject, It is certainly not wrong to suppose that that which was evidently been bestowed, even only on a few, was not denied to so great a virgin. St. Thomas of Villanova says, Nothing was ever granted to any saint which did not shine in a much higher degree in Mary from the very first moment of her existence. And as it is true that there is an infinite difference between the mother of God and the servants of God, according to the celebrated saying of St. John Damascene, we must certainly suppose, according to the doctrine of St. Thomas, that God conferred privileges of grace in every way greater on his mother than on his servants. And now admitting this, St. Anselm, the great defender of the Immaculate Mary, takes up the question and says, Was the wisdom of God unable to form a pure dwelling and to remove every stain of human nature from it? Perhaps God could not prepare a clean habitation for his son by preserving it from the common contagion. God, continues the same saint, could preserve angels in heaven spotless in the midst of the devastation that surrounded them. Was he then unable to preserve the mother of his son and the queen of angels from the common fall of men? And I may here add that as God could grant Eve the grace to come immaculate into the world, could he not then grant the same favor to Mary? Yes, indeed, God could do this and did it. For on every account it was becoming as the same St. Anselm says, that the Virgin, on whom the Eternal Father intended to bestow his only begotten Son, should be adorned with such purity as not only to exceed that of all men and angels, but exceeding any purity that can be conceived after that of God. And St. John Damascene speaks in still clearer terms, for he says that our Lord has preserved the soul, together with the body of the Blessed Virgin, in that purity which became her who was to receive a God into her womb. For as he is holy, he only reposes in holy places. And thus the Eternal Father could well say to his beloved daughter, As a lily among thorns, so my love among the daughters. My daughter, amongst all my other daughters, thou art as a lily in the midst of thorns, for they are all stained with sin but thou wast always immaculate and always my beloved. We will continue on the next tape.